want to go to there. Snipe! Saw the window and I just couldn't resist it. Francie doesn't like coffee ice cream. Hi, for those of you who just tuned in, everyone here is a crazy person. Are we having fun yet? <laughs> yes, it's... 30 Helens agree. Never mind. Maybe the dingo ate your baby. It's kind of flying, actually. Would you believe it? And you beautiful tropical fish. Don't mention the war. Clear eyes, put hearts, get Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sound on Sight's TV podcast. This is Kate Kulzik and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going? Uh, can people stop dying? That, that would, would be, be cool. nice. It really, it would be. This is, like, last year was a really painful year and this year's already been bad. It's already and not it's, good. It's barely March. We just got through one of the short months and it's still bad. I'm going to uh, focus on, for this week, the fact that apparently Harrison... Ford is as much a badass in real life as that he plays on screen. Because I saw the plane that he plane crash he walked away from, um, and he's apparently fine. And I'm very glad about that. At least there's that to hold on to. But we got some some more uh, sad news this week: uh, the passing of Sam Simon, who has a ridiculous list of credits to his name. Uh, Simon, what stands out for you? Uh, well, I mean, he co-created The Simpsons with Matt Groening and James L. Brooks. So there's that. There's that. Uh, just, just a tiny thing. Also wrote for Cheers, Taxi, Gary Shandling Show. Uh, just an insane scene. He was only 59. Um, he's he's been, uh, he's, he's been very public about his illness for a long time. So it wasn't like a huge shock or anything, but still uh, sucks. It hasn't really been a very good year for comedy writers. Yeah, it's, it's been, it's been tough, but um we thought we should mention that up here at the top of the show and uh hopefully we'll go a couple episodes without having to you know talk about someone whose work we respect tremendously passing away um just the universe if you could stop doing this that'd be great at the end of the show we'll be talking with emily l stevens from the av club about colombo which was so much fun very fun super fun the funnest the most fun of all the fun things Indeed. Um, we also had fun talking with you guys this week. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna keep this short, so just do the question of the week. Um, but lots of great interactions over at Twitter. Uh, very much appreciated. But we heard from Shan, who said the question of the week. By the way, if you want to remind our listeners, Simon was TV inspired family conflict. So it, it, so, something that you some, something that you someone in your family watches that you just hate, or vice versa. So we heard from Shan, who said, "I live alone, but if uh, friends or family watched one minute of a reality show, it would be instant." eviction so shan and i are not gonna be roommates is what this means because I, I i like some reality i like my amazing race but fair enough shan i hear you and uh we also heard from beth who there was a series of tweets i'm just gonna read them all because they're delightful beth says my mom only watches cbs and never misses criminal minds <laughs> my dad watches those any type reality shows just no and beth my dad also enjoys if if there's pawn anything or dangerous deadliest ice road any of those he likes those too so i feel you on that one um she says i was visiting my sister last summer and her husband was obsessed with two and a half men reruns and that's the worst thing ever oh and i said my mom only watches cbs she stopped watching the good wife a few seasons ago that's just i'm sorry ouch yeah that's not good that's that's yeah it takes all types right it takes all types of tv fans to make our you know, our countries of Nielsen viewers, I guess, but, um, our, 
our rich tapestry. Our rich tapestry of people watching Criminal Minds and not looking. Last week, I had a, a good time uh, hanging out with a friend of the show, Jason Griffin, uh, over at TV Times 3. This week, I had a chance to uh, go back on the Debating Doctor Who podcast with Caroline Sita and uh, Alistair Wilkins, friends of the show both. Um, so I figured I'd mention that here. I think that's going out this week. It might be next week. But we talked about uh, Journey's End, uh, Stolen Earth Journey's End, Clara's, a bunch of different things. It was a lot of fun. Uh, if you guys can watch out for that, I'll be tweeting about it when that goes out. Um, but other than that, I think that that's about it. What's going on? sound on site right now because again we got lots of articles going up right now uh well it is why you should be watching week which is uh, always a fun one because um it, I, I keep thinking that the era of shows being on, like great shows being on the bubble and having to be fought for is going to be over because it used to happen so much more but it's never quite over yeah uh brandon nowak over at the av club wrote up a great piece about why looking should be why hbo should re- renew looking even though no one's watching it and i was like yes I should probably write that up for why you should be watching week, actually, now that I think about it. But we have, uh, like, a week's worth of articles going up. Um, every day there's a new, new show that's going to get a recommendation from one of our writers. So you can check all that out at soundonsite.org. Um, and now we should get into it because uh, there's – it's after the ridiculousness of last week. We're keeping – we're trimming down a few shows that we don't feel like we have – that we have to talk about. So it should be a much more manageable podcast this week. Uh, thank you for indulging us last week, but we should head straight on to our weekend TV. Cause there's still a lot going on. Yes, Simon. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll be right back after this with the comedies. Looking from the window above, it's like a story of love. Can you hear me? Came back only yesterday. comedy simon's gonna talk a little bit about the first season of the unbreakable kimmy schmidt which of course landed uh was released by netflix this past week as well as the last man on earth raisin balls and wedding bells uh, then we'll both talk a little bit about broad city kirk Steele before diving in with the togetherness finale not so together girls tad and Lorene and avi and shanaz and then looking looking for glory um yeah so let's let's kick things off with kimmy schmidt it's been a very busy week for me. I haven't had a chance to dive in yet. We will be talking about Commissioner more fully next week. But Simon, for our listeners who have not yet uh, sat down with Kimmy Schmidt, uh, do do you recommend that they do? And if so, should they just kind of enjoy the show, uh, take their time, or binge it? What do you think? Um, I think that depends on how you feel about Thirty Rock because. If anything, I feel like people have maybe played down how similar it is to 30 Rock. Obviously, the um, there are class things that are different. There are character things that are different. But the um, the vision of New York 
and the comic rhythms and the scoring and specific cast members and the roles that they play are extremely similar, if not identical to 30 rock. Uh, I mean, there is a, um, there is a level of, ah, woundedness is a bit strong, but the whole notion of Ellie Kemper's character and her, uh, backstory involving having been kidnapped for 15 years, uh, is uh, adds an element that I've seen some people really praise in the show, and I'm a little bit iffy on, to be honest. Um, that being said, I've only watched the first <laughs> eleven episodes, so <laughs> <laughs> only, so only, so and and you know it's really at the end of the season that they sort of tackle that more head on. So I, I will reserve judgment uh, to see how they handle it. Um, but it's not for nothing that the show used to be called Tuken. Um, as opposed to the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. And I, I would, I'd be curious as to what, what the thought process or even just the process behind changing that name was. I'm there are, there have been times uh, when they've been de- talking about the backstory, when I wonder what the Netflix version of this show would have looked like, as opposed to the, the version developed for NBC that Netflix just happened to pick up. Cause I, as I, I'm under the impression they had a few episodes under in the can already. Yeah. I, it was, I believe entirely done. Um, oh, there you go. And then Netflix, then then NBC saw it and went, "This is not an NBC show. What can we do with this?" And that's yeah. Like, you know. And or they said, "We don't do this anymore." Yeah. Um, because nobody watches our shit. Um, which is entirely plausible because it's true. I I kind of can't blame them for it. Um, but I so I'll, I what I'm curious about is whether the show changes uh, next season, which it already has. It's already been renewed uh, via Netflix. Uh, I'll be curious to see what they do with their freedom if they choose to do anything with it or if they choose to stick to the formula. That's fascinating to me, but I, I want to withhold any more talk uh, until, Kate, you've seen some of it, some of it because uh, th- th- there's there's stuff to talk about. And uh, and it was absolutely dominating Twitter this week, so I figured I had to at least mention it. But, you know, I watched 11 episodes. I will, <laughs> I will watch the last two. Uh, it's definitely enjoyable. Um, as usual, I am suspicious of the internet hyperbole machine, but that's just me. Well, how about uh, this week's Last Man on Earth? What did you think? Uh, I'm going to keep this real brief. Uh, this was basically episode two again. Um, this was uh, Will Forte and Kristen Schaal really, really, really get under each other's skin and then learn to compromise, except they take it a little bit further than they did last week, uh, with the exception of the last scene, which I won't spoil for anyone who hasn't seen it, but um, it's although it's pretty clearly telegraphed uh, at least a couple minutes beforehand. Uh, so I'm, I, the reason I'm keeping it short is because next week is going to be the real, it's going to be the first time the show is really tested uh, because it could really go drastically downhill after this, uh, or it could turn into something really novel and interesting. Uh, and so far it's a, it's a complete toss up as to which it's going to end up. So I'll, I'll I'll be very curious to see what happens there. That is that's a good tease. I'm I'm intrigued now. Uh, but let's move on straight away uh, to Broad City and Kirk Steele. I thought this was so much fun. I, I liked based on our off my conversation. I liked this one more than you did. Um, so I want to start with you. I'm going to toss it to you and say what didn't work as much for you about this episode? Because for me, I just had a ridiculous amount of fun. Uh, I wasn't crazy about Abby extorting her boss with his, with his porn star past. Uh, just wasn't a character beat. I was that fond of uh, as much as it did have some, some humorousness to certain aspects of it. Yeah. Um, 
but what I, I I absolutely see what you're saying. For me, he's been enough of a dick to her with you know passive aggressive kind of bossing her around. Unintentional, it seems. He seems like he's good, you know, good hearted and everything um, this season. But I feel like she's dealt with a lot of crap from him, so I was more okay with him, e- even though yes, she should not be shaming him based on his past. Yeah, I don't know. It just that whole beat just seemed a little bit off for Broad City for me, which because you know we we've, we've praised the the show's sort of uh, beyond liberal attitudes towards sexuality so that wasn't so great for me that being said i did enjoy the rest of the episode especially obviously ilana playing babysitter uh and amy ryan okay mm-hmm. sure we can do that yes please what about yeah, uh i haven't seen her in a while yeah yeah too long um so what about the um what, what about the you know the the kettleball and replacing the having to replace the mirror and the ridiculous video we saw at the end any thoughts? Uh, uh, they they can do better. I I don't know. I it, it wasn't a laugh riot for me this week the way Broad City usually is. Fair enough. Uh, I think this is just a, an, an agree to disagree moment. I like that they are though have made that boss character more of an actual figure on the show. They've given the actor more to do, and I think he's done a good job with the material. Um, so I like that he feels much more dimensionalized. Um, so yeah, I, I, yeah, and you're right. Baby, the babysitting stuff was was all just delightful. Um, so now let's move on though to t- togetherness, not so together, which of course is the the season one finale. It's been already picked up for season two. Um, I think we've made ourselves abundantly clear on our overall thoughts about the series. So we're <laughs> gonna try to not sound like broken records here. But what oh God. what I will say though is, do you remember when you had seen the the pilot and I had seen the whole season? I asked you to predict what you thought was going to happen in the finale. You know, I remember you asking me that, but I don't remember exactly what I said. You got really close to what happens here. And so I think what it comes down to after what, having watched the pilot, the path of the season is abundantly clear. So I think what it comes down to is how did they execute that? And, and right. if they weren't going to surprise you with the narrative, did they do enough, um, shading around that clearly predictable because you predicted it narrative or was it on the whole do you feel like this was a letdown uh and just to be clear like i don't think that predictability in and of itself is necessarily a problem you know not every show is sherlock or some shit like it's (laughs) it's sometimes you know it's a show's building a straightforward narrative and you're, you're getting from point a to point b that's fine as long as the journey is worth it um for me uh, there were uh, a, there was there were certain aspects of the execution that were uh, that were really great. Anything that involved Mark Duplass and Melanie Linsky in a room with no other characters talking about their marriage or trying to just trying to get anything out of each other, that stuff was the most compelling the season ever got. Uh, as soon as you start involving, uh, I love you, Mary Steenburgen, but I did not care for your character. Uh, I, I didn't like anything involving her. She just seemed like such a caricature to me. Um, and uh, I didn't even get, get to talk about how much I hated the drug trip sequence from last episode, but, um, I don't know. There just, a lot of it just ended up being kind of, uh, hackneyed in ways that I was hoping they'd be able to dodge. And then it just kind of didn't. And, it's obviously a show that's resonated for uh, a large 
swath of the uh, of at least the the, the critichood. Um, but it it just it it just kind of whooshed right past me to be honest. Well, and the thing for me is that it I wasn't surprised by a lot of what was happening, but I enjoyed the time that I spent with the show. This is not a show I'm going to particularly remember, remember at the end of the year. This is not one that speaks to my experience in any sort of significant way. However, I do think um, for people who are in that part of their life or have a relationship that, that they amongst like the group on the show that they can really connect with in the way that say we connect with the travails of the dating world on man seeking woman. Um, right. I can see how this is a really powerful show, but not having that point of, of, uh, of connection. I just have to, you know, see how did each individual scene work. And I think, um, or, you know, or how, how did the show, you know, work outside of that? And for, for me, I enjoyed the time that that I spent with the show, um, but it's, it's, I have to strain to remember some of the, the scenes and the moments that I really did like quite a bit only a month or two ago. Yep. That, that, that sounds about right. Um, and maybe we should just move on and yeah. get into the things that we're actually passionate about so that we just don't seem like they all sticks in the mud. Well, yeah. And again, like we said, there are a lot of people who love this show and feel it it really, really speaks, you know, it's doing something that no one else is doing and it speaks to an underserved uh, type of relationship. Um, anyway, but not, not doing it. We're not, not doing, doing it. it. Instead, we're going to move on to girls <laughs> and, uh, and, oh my and, God. and another delightful episode, Ted Lorena and Avi and Shanaz. Um, where do you want to, I you know what I, I'm, I'm not going to ask you cause I know where we want to start. Marnie and Desi. <laughs> it really feels uh, like at this point they're just having fun with us the show they're just like pointing and laughing at this point um what i love about girls is that you never know uh what kind of episode you're gonna get and i don't just mean is it gonna be a funny episode is it gonna be a dark episode is it gonna be a strange episode it's also gonna be is this gonna be an episode where the girls are smart or where the girls are stupid uh or which of the girls will be stupid and uh lately marnie is very very stupid um, I mean, admittedly, uh, it hit her the whole scene about the guitar pedals. I actually kind of saw where he was coming from because because of what he was saying. Although he probably still got ripped off, uh, but still, absolutely, she was completely in the right. I, I lately her pattern seems to be she is in the right for the first half of the episode, and then by the second half, she completely capitulates and does something really dumb. That's been like the pattern for the whole season, so we really shouldn't have been surprised. Yeah, I do think. I just keep waiting, especially with the way that in this episode they bring back Ray being hung up on Marnie. Uh, Shosha's reaction was delightful, by the way. Um, yes. I, it, do, it really does feel like they keep going back to that parallel for the audience. The audience can just watch Desi be just the worst. Um, <laughs> not even just in his blowing all their money without talking to her. Um but but like the way that he comes back to her later, like there's just it's clearly this is a terrible relationship that cannot end well. And I actually really liked, you know, the con the contrasting we get, we get of a theoretically theoretical relationship with Marnie and Ray, but also with what has been a very um, supportive relationship theoretically with Hannah's parents that is now crumbling. So because we get from Hannah's dad, 
you know, he's toasting his wife. And I think he's being genuine when, when he says that this is his best friend. This is the person he's uh, loved more than anyone and supported. And he's so happy for her. It's just he's gay and he can't pretend anymore. Um, so I, I really liked, you know, contrasting Mar Marty and Desi are just such, they're, they're such terrible partners. Whereas if he weren't gay, <laughs> Hannah's parents have been, we, at least thus far with what we've seen, they seem like they've been very good partners to each other. What do you think? No, I completely agree. And I don't think there's anything that he's saying that is, uh, disingenuous. Um, I, I, I would imagine them still living together uh, no matter what happens. Although, I mean, that's just my imagination. That being said, um, I think what what really impressed me the most about this episode is that um, it's, I think it was just one of the flat out funniest they've ever done, despite the fact that some theoretically really heavy shit happens, hmm. um, obviously with Hannah's parents, and that may get heavy next week, but the whole scene with the, the frenulum piercing... <laughs> Oh God! Which was another watching through your. I could not believe how long they protracted that sequence. Um, have you ever been in the room when someone got a piercing? By the way, no, I'm good. Not. I mean, I'm sure at the mall, I've walked past people getting ears pierced, but I don't think that counts. No, but you've never gone with a friend while no. they got a piercing. I did that once, um, and it was a way less invasive piercing, and it still freaked me out. So this was this was a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, I loved uh, the scene of 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 her and uh, the the scenes rather of her and her new high school friend, especially her comment about how she thinks she can help Shia LaBeouf. Um, <laughs> that that was an actual laugh out loud moment. Uh, that was hilarious. All, everything that happened with Fred Melamed was hilarious. Uh, always nice to see him. Um, everything that happened with with Shoshana and her date with Jason Ritter. Mm -hmm. Come on, that Just was Charles. Oh yes. I didn't know. I don't know how I felt about them spoiling the Good Wife. That almost felt like bad TV etiquette or something. Yeah, but I feel like you could have easily missed that. You know. Yeah, I guess. Like you'd only know if you were watching. Yeah. Anyway, still thought that was weird. Uh, but no, I was thinking more about her her attempt to, um, as uh, as Jessa put it, um, inject a moment of unexpected love or whatever. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my god. Yeah, she's just been killing it this season. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, and the Ritter character handled that about as well as you possibly could. Uh, so power to, power to him. Um, yeah, I think he might be marriage material, just based on that. Just based on that, yeah. No, that was... go Well done, sir. Well done. First unintentional test, pass with flying colors. Yeah, this was... Again, it was. I really like the way that the season is shaping up. I like that we don't have any time with Adam and Mimi Rose this week. I think it was good that we got some time away from them. Um, <laughs> Fran, oh poor Fran, having to deal with <laughs> Hannah. Yeah, uh, but yes. yeah, so much to like about this, and I'm astonished that Hannah has not already been fired. You know, from t escorting a high schooler to get her frenulum pierced. How it. That's going to be just like, do you, you need to see her get fired or can we just start the next, next episode and she's been fired? Um, or she could just not be fired. I mean, who, who knows? Anything could happen. It's girls. The, the next episode could start and it's three years later and she's, you know, doing. She can't I, I not get fired for that. The only way she could not get fired would be if the, if the girl's parents don't find out. If the girl's parents don't find out, they're dead because she would have to talk. That's true. 
anyway, uh, my my point is, I I have given up on trying to predict what girls is doing, and that's fantastic. Fair enough. Uh, let's move on to our last show of the week, and that's looking looking for glory. Um, I got spoiled, I thought, on this episode by Twitter. Um, but I was very glad to not have been spoiled because somebody tweeted something about uh, Kevin and Patrick's relationship just did, getting destroyed like the meal did at the beginning of the episode. And so I just kept waiting for something terrible to happen. And it didn't. Instead, it was lovely. What did you think of this episode? Uh, my my favorite thing about this episode was um, TV writers, if you want to introduce auto critique, this episode is a good example of how to do it. For instance, um, the whole notion of uh, Kevin and Patrick have been developing this app sort of in a bubble. Like, oh, isn't this funny? We think this is a really funny idea that we had. And then when they take it in, into the real world, you know, or the real world of the show, um, it's not necessarily such a cool idea. <laughs> uh, and the show is is totally, uh, it feels like it has a healthy sense of perspective about these things um, that you could also, if you would like, uh, read it as sort of a greater metacriticism of that people you know, sort of thinking about criticisms that people have had or might have had of the show. I haven't really been following uh, criticism from the gay community, but you could you could interpolate some of things that are, are said in the episode to the show itself if you were being especially critical. And I think the this, this show handles that in a really elegant way. Yeah, definitely. And because uh, it does it without it's not the almost confrontational manner of girls, the way the girls has done some of that. It's uh, much more relaxed and, and focusing more on Patrick's befuddlement at that, yes. I think is a great way to do it. Um, how about the, the other corners of the show? You got to feel a um, little, little uh, heart sad for Dom. First, you know, he, he had, uh, well, first of all, that's not going to end well. That was a stupid thing. Something's going to happen to the money and he's going to be screwed. Right. Is there any way that that chicken window ends well now that we found out that he used all his savings and maxed all his credit cards to get it right away? Um, I, Looking kind of seems like the show that won't punish him for, for that. That feels like a thing that other shows would do. Yes. Um, or it might or it might have a I don't, know, I, I don't see it being a total disaster immediately. Um, I see it being more of like a slow burn problem, but you never know. It's, again, it's another show that's uh, difficult or even folly to predict. Um, I liked everything we got with Augustine and his boyfriend. Oh, by the way, Peen 15. Yep. Looking finally delivered. Yes. Tw no, no. Second time. Remember the rugby second team? Time? Oh, yeah, that's right. Game anyway. Rugby. Fantastic. <laughs> and also, might I add, nice to see a different body type. Yes. Also, uh, also important. Um, yeah. But, uh, the, the, and also that, that was not, uh, that, that sex scene did not leave much to the imagination. <laughs> yeah. Yep. No, it's, uh, it, it, I think I, I really like the way that relationship with Augustine um, has progressed this season. It's really uh, great to see the, the biggest problem character, at least for us, get, get, ex get explored, but also um, you know, grow and become more mature, but it's not necessarily for me. I don't like it because I approve of his behavior more. I like it because there's so much thought being put into it and we're getting to, to see a character shift over time. So I've, I've really been enjoying his slow journey uh, to maturity as it were. Uh, speaking of any thoughts on Richie and Brady. Um, 
I don't really know where they're going with that. Mm-hmm. I hope it's not just the uh, Richie Patrick reunion train somehow. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't really see how since uh, Patrick and Kevin seem so solid. I think uh, I think mm-hmm. I need to see Richie and Brady being solid as well. I or at least I would like to. You know, we got to see uh, Kevin and John seeming like a, a functional established couple a couple times at least you know, yeah. at the farmer's market. And like we, we got some interaction there. Um, but every time we see Brady, we also see Richie and Richie's and Patrick's always there. And so Richie's always, you know, Patrick just tra- trampled all, all over his heart. So he's still not, you yeah. know, really relaxed. So we can't really see what those two are like as a couple. Yeah. And I think that's been uh, an imbalance that hopefully they'll have time to sort of correct uh, if they're ever going to go anywhere with that. I don't know. I'm really apprehensive about them um, theoretically rocking the boat there. I'm hoping that they can just leave that for this season, to be honest. Yeah. Well, there's only two more episodes, tears, this season. Probably. Let's let's be honest. Yeah. So um, I would be surprised if we saw uh, all of these different things we've been speculating on this season. Um, But. We're just going to leave that out in the ether, and hopefully this one's not the end of the story. Um, so, Simon, what uh, wins your week in comedy? Did you know that there are people who watch Looking and don't like it? I discovered that the other day. Seriously? I know. Wow. Anyway, um, having not seen, uh, as we record tonight's Jane the Virgin yet, we'll talk about that next week, uh, the Jane the Virgin Award will go to, I'm going to have to say girls. That was really great. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to give it to to girls as well with an honorable nod uh, to to looking, but um yeah, it was it was fantastic. Really looking forward to again as we record writing up my review. It'll hopefully be up by the time you guys hear this, but uh but yeah, yeah, it's been a really solid season for girls. Um now we're going to take a break and we'll come back with our week in genre. Sometimes I feel I've got to run away I've got to get away from the pain you drive into the heart of me the love we share seems to go nowhere and I lost my light for I toss and turn I can't sleep at night once I ran to you, now I run from you. This tainted love you've given, I give you all a girl could give you. Take my tears and that's not nearly all tainted love. This week in genre, I'm going to talk a little bit about the Shield mid-season premiere Aftershocks and Banshee, Even God Doesn't Know What to Make of You, which is the uh, penultimate episode. And then we'll both talk a little bit about The 100, Blood Must Have Blood, Part 1, the, again, penultimate episode of that uh, season as well. And this is a bit of a spoiler, I guess, but partially to to pad out the genre section here. But we're, get, we're putting fortitude, we're moving it over to genre. There are enough genre hints and teases and elements we're just going with it dramas over books yes genre needs some more shows we're doing it let's call it teasing yeah so uh let's 
to kick let's kick off genre here with the Shield midseason premiere, Aftershocks. I thought this was a solid midseason premiere. It kind of eases the audience back into the world, which I think is smart, seeing as we've been Agent Cartering for the past two months, and uh, kind of lets people rem- you know remember where we're at. I like the way that they're handling um, Trip's death in the midseason finale, and uh, it, it feels. Uh, organic and the, it's taking it's pushing us a, a couple characters uh, notably Simmons to extremes in ways that I think this is a logical way to get her to where she's at where she's like headed towards the kill all aliens <laughs> side of things um, and I like the way that the other characters react to that as well they introduce some of the characters that I assume are out of the Inhumans I don't know comics um, but I just feel like the way they're shot, it seems like we're supposed to know who they are, and they do that in a fun way. I like, I love that they brought back Dijon Lockman in a, a flashback or whatever. That was cool, and um, it, I, I'm, I really hope that she can be a recurring figure on the show, even though she's dead now uh, in the characters present. But um, no, the the way they went with with Reina was just kind of awesome. I love that not everybody who gets the magical mystical gas happens to you know, look exactly the same afterwards, look like somebody who is on a network TV show. Um, so that that was kind of great. And I, I'm hopeful that they have good things coming with her character. Um, it's a good creature design, if nothing else. And uh, yeah, that's all I got, I think, for this mid-season premiere. It's, it's promising, even if the whole Hydra council or whatever was really kind of stupid. They're all dead now, so I'll take it. If that's what it takes to, you know, get rid of that part of the show, then I'm all for it. Let's just have this be the Inhumans show now. Um, moving on, to, I, I assume you don't have any thoughts. Maybe I shouldn't assume that, Simon. Do you have any thoughts on the S.H.I.E.L.D. midseason premiere or the Inhumans? Uh, I don't. I will add, though, when was the last time Deacon Lockman had a decent role on anything? Dollhouse. For, like, three of the episodes. Last Resort got kind of close. Almost. She could have had a character there, but they really... Yeah, but then... yeah, She was pretty far down the call list there. They didn't really care about that character too much. Um, yeah, she needs to get cast in something where she can be good and, you know, not dead. Uh, that's At least that's my thoughts. Um, anyways, uh, maybe, maybe you could say The 100. What do you think? <laughs> For like two episodes or something? She, you know, when she actually got to talk a bit, that was nice. Um, let, let's move on here to Banshee. Even God doesn't know what to make of you. This, uh, I like the way that they, that they have kicked things back up to get ready for the finale. Uh, it's a good way to do that is to put, um, Job and Sugar in danger. So they do. Carrie, we're less worried about. I, I also, I also love the very straightforward way that Kai Proctor just kills everyone who's taken him captive. Um, once the the scary guys out the room um that that was a effective scene i really don't need anything else with the um uh the the i i'm forgetting character names right now i apologize the uh the the other sheriff's deputy the one the main guy should have been promoted but instead they hired hood that guy his what his ex-wife i do not care about her at all so i really hope that that's the last we see of her for quite a while um, and I'm looking forward to a very Banshee finale. Lots of shooting, lots of punching, lots of emotional moments, I assume. Uh, but this was a solid episode, even if it was not 
the uh, most intriguing episode of the season. Let's move straight on to The 100, Blood Must Have Blood, Part 1. This is very much cliffhanger, part one of the two-part finale. Were you surprised when uh, Alexa just turned around and walked away? Um, no, because I got spoiled on it. Um, so... Oh, that <laughs> <Damn>. sucks. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, it's, I don't really know if I was surprised or not. It's, given the circumstances, it's hard to know. I don't know if I buy it, if only because the show's version of when when they when they make Lexa be like, there is the emotional way and the logical way, and if you do it the logical way, things will always be cool. Um, way of thinking, like whenever they they bring her back to that note, I don't buy it because that's not how humans work. Mm-hmm. But then they've sort of they've sort of been ushing her away from that, which I've liked. But then they bring her back to it all of a sudden for plot twist. So I mean, it works in the moment, but it still kind of irks me. Yeah, I mean, I buy it for her, especially with the added caveat that they're going to stop, Mount Weather's going to stop kidnapping her people and turning them into Reavers because they're going to kidnap people from the Ark instead so that they can walk on, you know, the surface. You know, like, I think if you throw that in, that makes more sense. Um, I think they needed to do a better job of seeing, like, it looked like they let three people out. That yeah. was not a convincing, like, prisoner release at all. Um, but well, well, and also the way it was staged, it was like, oh, you got our people out, cool. Let's still storm in there and kill everyone because <laughs> they they really have it coming. Like, because you've suddenly, been doing this for a long time. Yeah, like, the, like I, she seems like, seems like the sort of person who would think that they definitely still have it coming. Well, I mean, this is called Blood Must Have Blood. How much blood has Mount Weather spilled? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, I, she seems like someone who keeps her treaties, uh, keeps her word as, as a commander. But, um, yeah. And I, I'm sure that Clark is going to figure something out or, you know, or the people in the Bellamy and everybody inside is going to figure something out that uh, will be a lot of fun in the finale. But, um, yeah, I did not miss the adults at all. I was very happy no. to not see Jaha. Um, I, th- I have a feeling we're going to see him next week, unfortunately. Uh, but I, you know, I think I think a lot of it worked. A lot of it was fun, and um, we'll, I guess, see what's happen- going to happen in the in the finale. I mean, what did you think of the various shenanigans inside Mount Weather? Um, I don't really have too much of an opinion on this, except that I don't have faith that they're going to kill anyone important next week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like they, they've done an incredible job in avoiding killing anybody. Like even that commander guy we didn't care about, who like went under the pile of human shields and then really looked quite dead. Uh, I was like, well, we know he's not dead because we didn't even get a shot of him being dead. And then of course, 15 minutes later in the episode, he's crawling around. So, oh, okay. We're not even killing that guy. So this is no longer the show that kills people if it ever was. Yeah. Um, the, the Octavia turn was too sudden to, to be effective. The, you're one of the tree people. Uh, no, I'm going to stay here for my brother. Never speak to me again. Like, if they wanted that to have more weight, it needed to not happen in, like, the only two scenes that we saw her this week. Yeah. Also, it was weird that they were doing scenes with Raven Wick feels when they were, like, rushing to do stuff. It's like, yeah. are we going to do this now, man? Really? This is the time, apparently. Yeah. Uh, that, that that was effective, though. I like that we got to see Raven. It, this, it's been a very scattered 
second season and I it got renewed, right? So I I'm hoping for a mm-hmm. more focused next season. Yeah, hopefully it doesn't get an even bigger episode order or something. Yeah. Well, any, anyways, uh, we'll we'll talk a little bit more about this after the finale next week. But now let's move on to our last episode uh, this week in, in genre. Of course, I didn't mention it, but you can listen to my thoughts on The Walking Dead uh, episode Forget on The Walking Dead podcast. So uh, for now, let's move on to Fortitude, episode seven. And I have a write-up of episodes five through seven. There was some uh, trouble with scheduling and things with our, our regular Fortitude reviewer. So I, I filled in for the past couple of weeks there this week. And... Um, if you haven't seen Fortitude yet, and you don't have an, the M4A thing where you can skip forward, then, you know, you've been given plenty of time here to hit the fast forward button, or you don't care. Those are our options. I no longer feel guilty. What the fuck just happened? <laughs> um, I'm not sure, but I can tell you this. I felt something I haven't felt on a TV show in, a, in at least a very long time, when we get to that closing sequence and uh, we have the uh, feeder lady. Um, Shirley. Her name is Shirley. We like Shirley. Sh- yeah. You know the names because you just wrote about it. All right. Anyway, <laughs> um, when we have Shirley uh, ripping open someone's insides and then. <gasps> no, no, bad Simon. <laughs> Don't do that to our listeners. And then making vomiting sounds and then having a uh, mostly translucent with black spots that you pointed out liquid eaten anyway i'm not going to keep describing things but when that was happening and she was making those sounds i was actually experiencing what i can only characterize as sympathy nausea mm-hmm. uh, which that was and admittedly i was eating lunch and by lunch i mean pasta uh, during Fortitude, which was a terrible like, for the first forty minutes, it was fine. I was like, "Oh, this hasn't been so bad." Oh, wait. <laughs> yeah. Uh, although I was slightly distracted by the ketchupy nature of the blood in that scene, um, that that took me out of it a little bit. But yeah, what's going on? Um, I'm gonna go with uh, alien werewolf hybrid. <laughs> I have a feeling the show is gonna may very well try to go for completely not alien, not supernatural with this, and just be like, it's a really... So it's like a disease that is laid dormant under the ice. This is how it spreads or whatever, or it, like, has, you know, it just takes over the host. Or it's like a parasite, something like that, where it's not actually... But it's functionally, you know... I mean, when you've created an illness that makes people... uh, Find the nearest person. person... And then claw at their insides in a very specific way. Yeah. Well, yeah, this really felt to me like, as I was watching, and, and uh, when you're watching this episode, you you know that something bad is going to happen with Shirley. Because the way they keep coming back to her, the way that they've been doing the last couple of weeks, this stuff with her and her creepy, creepy McCreeperson uh, boyfriend, Marcus, uh and the fact that that hasn't gone anywhere yet, you're like, why are we spending time with this? This is creepy, yes, but why are we spending time with it? It's because, you you know, it was leading to this episode. Um, So the way that, that her mom being there, the way that all of that is shot, you know something's going to happen. So when it does, you know, the the way that it was shot and everything, the first thing that came to mind for me was eggs. You know, that just 
what that's what came to, to to mind for me like those little black spots being eggs people talked about that being the disease you know trying to procreate itself and who knows but it seemed like th- that she was looking for a warm cozy environment for stuff and the way she, the way that she like <laughs> patted the stomach closed again it was it was horrific in a just like you said a physically nauseating a physically nauseating, just visceral kind of way. Because you could just now, see it coming with the way that she was, like, starting yeah. to, while she was, like, knocking out her mom or whatever. No, I'm cutting out the audio <laughs> Sorry, for that. I couldn't help it. Don't be a um, dick. <laughs> but <laughs> but we, my one caveat here is that if... If the disease as if the feedering, if the feederism and the disease are a total coincidence, mm-hmm. that's going to be weird I, and weird in a bad way. I think it could totally be a coincidence. No, it it could be, but and I'd be okay with that because he's our next suspect. Yeah, but you don't think that's a problem of just like we're setting up these incredible like this is the same problem we've had with every other mystery show. Like, oh, we're going we're going from one red herring to another. There just happens to be this collection of insanely bizarre people in one place. Um, I'm okay with it uh in this case because it's sort of like I was okay with it with some with the other situations that have popped up thus far with Elena and with other things because it's revealing other information. So if by questioning Marcus, he's not re- he didn't cause this, but that gives them other information that sheds light on Pettigrew or that sheds light on other stuff, then I'm okay with it. If it's a complete unrelated, he's just a creeper. It's just a complete coincidence that he's interacted with both Liam and Shirley, then it's just a waste of our time. But I didn't feel like it was a waste of our time with the newbie. And I didn't feel like it was a waste of our time with Elena. What about you? And I didn't feel like it was a waste of time with Frank. Uh, it's really hard to know um, what is and is not a waste of our time. I know that it's all very well executed. I know that uh, it's all very well uh, acted and scored. And the shot scoring and... in that last shot, in that last scene. Fantastic. It's ridiculous. Yeah. That was like, Hannibal level chills up the spine yeah. courtesy of uh, of Ben Frost. Uh, I'm really glad that he's that he's really stepped it up in these last few episodes. Um I don't know, like I, again, with Fortitude it's always like I'm just waiting to see what happens, but along the way uh it it it's certainly what what I think they may do is maybe instead of ruling on the side of science or the supernatural, they'll just let it hover weirdly in the middle. Mm-hmm. I'm just like Oh yeah, you could say X-Files. this is yeah, this is like a weird pathogen that's been laying dormant in the snow, or it was aliens, but you'll never know because everyone's dead now, <laughs> yeah. or something. It it really feels like it could be a situation where Scully would look at it and say it's science, and Mulder would look at the exact same information and say it's clearly extraterrestrial or supernatural. That that I'm mean, I'm okay with that too. I'm still leaning. The main thing that has me leaning on the supernatural, honestly, still is eleven uh, year old kid mm. overpowering adult male and killing them, which is again not impossible, but still pretty close to impossible. Well, and the thing that's particularly disturbing to me about that last scene, aside from everything else we've already talked about, is that it's a fork, and that's a not unstocked kitchen, right? That yeah. kitchen. Should have a knife. A knife would have been easier. 
Yeah, but a fork is so much grosser. And we saw her go over and choose an implement. It's not like this it just happened to be right there. Um, I do think it's very interesting though that the first person, Liam, like Liam's like, There's no one in the house. Can't kill daddy. Let's go walk randomly through the snow. I guess was that their neighbor? Was was Charlie their neighbor? Didn't seem like it. Yeah, that seems odd, you know, because if, if, it makes sense if it's just proximity. Maybe the first person they see, they're going to kill, um, which I guess he saw them through the house, so that could work. I don't know. We'll see. Um, other things that happened in this episode, the only part of the show right now that I feel like is wasting my time is the stuff with uh, Ronnie, the dad, and his daughter, um, and the tusks, you know, like... I feel like that has to tie back in somehow. Like something's going to happen with the tusk and then they're going to tie it back to him as, Oh, I was out with my daughter. I don't know. I agree that it's the part that seems the most far afield, but it's not impossible to imagine them tying it in pretty closely. Yeah. And I also, I I like that we got some time away from, uh, we, we got after last week's episode, we got that really great last, uh, Stanley Tucci and, uh, Dormer, scene richard dormer scene and this week they they spend the episode apart i think that was smart and i like that apparently the tooch knows what's underneath the ice i'm guessing it's yes. not a bunch of different woolly mammoths but he, i like that he knows yeah his smugness level was just off the chart in that in that scene it was pretty um, what do you think the two versions of tainted love were trying to tell us uh i don't think they were trying to tell us anything other than just being clever with the music Really? Do you think they, they put us a, a song with very specific lyrics in there twice without them meaning anything? I don't think it was, I, I don't, I'm like, obvi- there's obvious things here with tainted love. She's just stabbed her mother. And the only other person in her life is this, is this jackass Marcus who's abusing her. Um, I wonder what tainted love could possibly have to say about that. I, I'm saying, what I'm saying is I don't think there's extra deep levels here. I think it's a okay. lot of really straightforward surfacey levels. Why do you see particularly deep and poignant commentary with the choice of tainted love? No, I was hoping you'd have something. No, it's not subtle at all. <laughs> I don't always need it to be subtle. This, I was okay with this. Fair enough. I, I do. I wonder about the song choice along with Marquee Moon last last week. I, I used to start sitting down with the lyrics to those songs and s- seeing if they put, have potential clues in them because this is really starting to drive me insane. <laughs> well, I, I would be all for a Simon soundtrack segment where you like break down the meaning of the lyrics and tell us what it's all about. That would be awesome. So if you want to do that, then... I think our listeners would love to hear it. Yes, I'll, I'll I'll think about it. Okay. Well, for now, what wins your week in genre? Uh, well, obviously, I'm going to give it to Fortitude. Although the hundred is wrapping up fine, although it's still, I I do feel it's it's taken a significant dip since last season. To be honest. Yeah, this is clearly Fortitude. Um, but I, I I enjoyed the other episodes, but this is obviously Fortitude. Now we'll take a break and come back with our week in drama. <laughs>
this week in drama, I'm going to... Oh, God, I should have put this in comedy. I'm going to take a quick look at the CSI Cyber pilot uh, and... Cyber! <laughs> a little, little uh, refresher on my thoughts on the American crime pilot. Um, but then we'll both talk Better Call Saul, Alpine Shepherd Boy, Justified the Hunt, The Americans, Born Again, and The Good Wife, Mind's Eye. This is almost a manageable number of dramas. Yeah, except I feel like I've got a lot to say about a few of them. So yeah, we'll see how this segment goes. It may it may go pretty long, um, but yeah, and that's also because we moved things to other areas and didn't talk about other shows, so that that helps. Um, first up here, though, we I couldn't not talk about the CSI Cyber Pilot because I watched it because I have to because. I'm crazy, and this is the uh, this is a network pilot, so I talk about all of them. And this is hilarious. I highly recommend watching it on a let's laugh at what is actually airing on CBS mode. Do not try to watch it as a as a procedural. Do not try to watch it as a cop show. Do not try to watch it as a tech show. Do you know the premise of this pilot, Simon? Uh, the premise is that CBS is pretty sure that tens of millions of people are going to watch this. Sure, that's very true. But the pilot premise is people are internationally uh, – there's like a shady international group of baby stealers who are bidding on babies that have, they've been able to, to – observe that are being able to be observed and put up for auction because people have hacked into their baby camera like their their baby monitors uh including video um and so rather than i don't know farm grow a baby amongst a group of desperate and impoverished people in their own country they decided the best idea was to hire somebody to go into like i don't remember like suburban pittsburgh and steal a baby from a house. And then they steal a baby from uh, New York and Mass- like Massachusetts. And like, these are international. There's like, I, at one point, there's like a, there's a bunch of different voices that can be heard over the baby monitor by the parents. And they're like, oh, it's foreign. Literally, they, that's how they describe them. There were foreign voices. <laughs> Wait, I have a question. If you want babies... Aren't there just easier places to find babies? Yes, there are. But the show does. It was like it's expensive to adopt babies. I'm like, it's expensive to to pay a hundred and fifty thousand dollars for a baby when you could, you know, get a surrogate. It's also just throwing this out there. Expensive to raise a child. Yeah. But anyway. <laughs> yeah. No, but just like the premise. It, it, like my fa- one of my favorite things in this pilot was so we had they managed to hack in and find the recording of the the. Inter- the foreign voices on this and then they translated them all individually and then they played the the, the like the computer translation of the voices and guess what when the the voices were translated into english they had stereotypical accents Their, your computer program is set to like be racist against minorities in its translation <laughs> like it's who recorded the voice that you're that you're the text to voice thing that you're using here well, it's it's clear. Maybe you missed the intertitle. You were taking notes. You missed the intertitle where it's clear that this takes place in a dystopian racist 2052. I was just like, it's just like things like that. I was like, wow, you realize that it doesn't. Oh, God, you just like it. But yeah, this this opens this, this pilot opens with an adorable baby and then a figure menacing it. And I'm like, yeah, guys, because, you know, uh, Allegiance and Stalker didn't piss me off 
early enough with their really over the top and uh, uh, manipulative victim like baiting or, or or just murdering people for salacious glee. So you got to threaten a baby. They also had one of the least convincing baby like d- puppets or dolls or whatever in this episode as well. The at one point there's baby CPR on a baby that's been drowned and uh I swear it looks like one of those dummies that they give you in the CPR training class. It's just like, guys, this is a terrible idea. Clearly nobody at this show actually cares about this show. They're all getting a paycheck. And uh, good for CBS, good for whoever's enjoying it. But on my like for the way I was able to get through it, it's hilarious. Because it is like the show that's in the background of the real show. When the people are watching the, the terrible... Right, yeah. You know, when Abby and Alana are, like, getting baked and watching terrible procedurals, this is what they're watching. Oh, Patricia Arquette. Yeah. Well, hey, you know what? She's getting she's getting money. So this is her and bad post-Oscar. She's already post-Oscar. got her Oscar. This is her bad post-Oscar movie. It's instead a TV show. It's like her reverse Norbit. Yeah, pretty much. Um, let's move on quickly to American Crime. I already talked about this at the mid-season preview. I'm just going to mention here, I don't think this is good. I know that some people do... They really think it's great and has incisive things to say about race and uh, class in America. And I just really feel like all of this has been said in other things and has nothing new to add. Um, I'm glad that people, you know, ABC cares to tell this kind of story. I just wish they'd do it in an interesting and original way. And this is not that. And uh, I would like to see all these actors doing other things. So, um I am not on board with the American crime. There there were four available and I only watched one. And Simon, you know how rare that is. So, uh, yeah. Tibron. That, that's where I'm at. What is that? What? Tibron. I just figured out what Norbit in reverse is. It's Tibron. Oh, I see. I see. Fair enough. Well, that, that also describes my interest level in American crime. Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. Uh, but we're a bit more interested in Better Call Saul. Uh, this week is Alpine Shepherd Boy. That was one of our, the, the, delightful a sort of like trademarked uh, uh breaking bad better call Saul like slow just takes just to hold as she comes down the stairs in her chair mm-hmm. with the alpine shepherd boy uh, how did this episode work for you uh, i really enjoyed this episode it didn't do a ton on a plot level i guess uh but i think that uh it was this was a good time for them to quite literally slow it down and just sort of see where Saul is at in terms of his career post his uh his his miracle uh his miracle move you might say um this I know that I I felt like a dummy because while I was watching the episode I was literally sort of like kicking my feet up and down with glee because I was so happy with these long takes I was just like oh my god <laughs> this the, specifically that shot of her going down the stairs and then wait wait just, 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 that's all right. I'll be there. Getting down the stairs, hobbling over, hobbling over. Wait, just, you want some tea? No, 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 no tea. Okay, okay. Hobbling over. Hob- what I'm doing right now is I'm reenacting the scene at one quarter scale. Yeah. Uh, and it was, oh my God, I loved it so much. I loved it so much that I wouldn't care if the rest of the episode was terrible because I just, oh. Just when when shows take the time to do this, it just warms the cockles of my heart so much. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It was it was just delightful to watch. And I actually got to watch this one 
on Tuesday, which is a thing that never happens for me because uh, I happen to to get the podcast edited and I can actually watch an episode of Monday TV the next day. Uh, it was just just fabulous, and I, it's nice to also see him get a uh, to see Jimmy get a couple wins. Uh, I liked getting more. Um, Again, more exploration of what's going on with the Jimmy, uh, with Jimmy's brother, with the Michael McKean character. I continue to enjoy what they've been doing with Kim, and yeah, I think it's uh, been really solid. I like to see, I like seeing Claire Duvall pop up here. Hopefully, she'll be back at some point. I'd like to see her get more to do. That's yeah. I always like when she pops up places, but I feel like she almost never gets a character. Uh, any other thoughts about this episode besides "Ooh, it's wonderful to be back in this world." How about uh, well, seceding from the Union? Oh, my God. That was amazing. Um, I mean, it's low-hanging fruit, but it's low-hanging fruit that deserves it. So um, the whole, I mean, speaking of slow, following around Mike on his nightly routine and, again, getting into the rhythms of what that's like of, okay, this is his night. This is his morning. And everything is totally cool until the cops show up from, from across the, the country or whatever it is. And I assume we're going to finally find out what his... I know that there was a scene in Breaking Bad where they sort of broke down some of his backstory a little bit, apparently. But I completely forget what that was. So um, just, again, uh, using those that contemplative pace for a totally different reason, where in Saul's bit it was for laughs, and in Mike's bit it's for, like, relatively subtle pathos. So I, I like that they're able to multitask with that. Absolutely. And uh, the last thing I have here is, as you heard coming into this seg- segment... I particularly enjoyed the music this week on Better Call Saul because not only did they have Figaro, uh, one of my favorite things ever, uh, one of the artists from Figaro, Marriage of Figaro, but they also had the theme to the third man. So that's what we came into the segment with. Uh, Thank you, Better Call Saul guys, because I love it so much. And that counts as their uh, their vintage film reference of the week, I guess, since there wasn't any in the dialogue. Hey, I'll take it. Love the third man. Uh, any final thoughts, or is it time to uh, move on to Justified? Oh, Justified. Um, so I heard about this episode in advance because I think it was Matt Zoller's sites was really hyping it up, and I think it was mostly worth it. There was a lot to like about the episode, um, especially on sort of a thematic level, because what I'm fascinated by, and I almost, I wrote way more than I should have, and I almost wrote even more than that, Um I'm fascinated by gender roles on Justified. Um, And I mean in general, not necessarily specific characters, but just as sort of a world. Because Justified has so many female characters who are in some way battered or emotionally abused. And many of them we never even got to meet. Uh, Like Francis, for instance, I assume was abused by Arlo because Arlo is terrible. Um, And, you know, Helen and Ava... And um, to some, I, I believe that um, that uh, Margot Martindale's character also had went through a shitty marriage, if I recall correctly. Do I am I making that up? No, that sounds right. Um, hopefully, I'm not making that up. Um, there's this general thread of you know these women are too good for these men, but either because of circumstances real or circumstances imagined. Uh, they don't have an escape, or they see no escape, and they choose to respond to that in different ways. Um, and that is a really interesting dynamic that I don't see on a lot of other shows, even though for a lot of people that is a reality or, or was a reality. Um, 
and the show doesn't always deal with that super gracefully, but I still think it's mostly really interesting. And it's sort of a, a, a way for them to deal with, uh, you know, this is a very heavily male writer's room. So it's like a, a weirdly interesting way for a, a writer's room with not a lot of women in it to talk about women's issues, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Um, I just wish they did a better job. Yeah, that's that's totally fair. Um, so I I think we have to break this down plot by plot, and hopefully we won't take it too long with this because okay. this is not holler this is not holler back. This is not a justified podcast, so we don't get to do that. So uh, I, we got to start with Raylan and Winona. Let's, do we? Okay. Let's, let's start. Let's start let's, with Winona and just all of the love. We love Winona. We don't understand why other people don't love Winona. Um, if anything, I don't even this care episode... why other people don't love Winona anymore. I'm I'm beyond <laughs> it. I'm just so so glad that Natalie Z is back for at least an episode because she when she shows up, I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah, I knew she was coming back, and um, I because I saw it in the preview, and I was looking forward to it all week. Um, when she shows up, you realize uh, what the show's been missing. I think since she hasn't been around, although a lot of people seem to not think so. And they're stupid. Um, <laughs> That's how dismissive at all. Even if yeah. I agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and there are things that are great and things that are frustrating about her scenes. Like she completely understands what's going on. She completely understands that Raylan is a certain way and he's probably not going to change. Or if he is, it's not going to be of his own volition probably. Um, but she also knows that he earnestly wants to make an effort, even if, um, he's not great at showing it and he's not great at actually doing it. Um, and she also points out beautifully and succinctly and completely accurately that living with like trying to build a life with Raylan is infuriating. And like when she says that, I, I almost did a slow clap in my chair. <laughs> that being said, the whole thing with her being like, look, if you want to settle down here, we can do that. That was the one aspect where I was like, wait, <laughs> See, but I that she's throwing him a bone with that. She's like, "Oh, get it. don't I don't make me do it. I re just don't. But I will. But really, don't make me do it. But I will. But like, but that's the one thing where like, do you remember the last? You remember why you left Harlan, and also the several gunfights you were in before that gunfight that you got in when you were pregnant, like very pregnant. Yeah, but I think I think uh, Raylan also knows about that too, and she understands that he's not gonna put his daughter in danger like that. So he, I think yeah, like there's that's also the that. one thing that's the one thing that makes it kind of okay is that I don't think that that's a thing that's actually gonna happen on this show that they're just gonna settle down happily ever after yeah. in Harlan County, USA. Definitely not gonna happen. Um, but other than that, their scenes were great, and um, it made me nostalgic for when she was a regular on the show. Oh, absolutely. Because what we get with that character is someone who truly knows and is an equal emotionally to, to Raylan in his life. Other than you could say, Boyd, but there's always that – they're always bullshitting each other. So it's yeah. nice to just cut to the quick and get that – You know, I, I love when he just starts to bullshit her. She's like, "You did you hear what I just said about how you shouldn't lie to me? <laughs> Because I know you. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. That is what the show has been missing. Um, next storyline. Should, should we do The Office? I want to end with Ava and, and Boyd. Okay. Uh, the Office. The art Markham scene was fantastic. Fantastic. Um, yeah. It's. 
I've, I've actually really enjoyed the way they've, they've deployed art this, this season as, uh, I guess, I don't know. Is he still in the opening credits? Is he still considered a regular? I don't know. But, um, having him to show up at the, at precise moments to do specific things and not just to be like, Oh, Hey, this character is still here. He's not really part of the office, but I guess we should give him something to do like begrudgingly. There's none of that. It's just like, we don't need him this week. We're not going to use him this week. It makes perfect sense for him to just be like, I got to needle mark him. I just can't not needle mark him. He's just like that. And it makes sense for the character. And they have a fantastic scene together. Well, I've seen, I mean, this week on the DVD shelf, we're talking about Columbo. That scene was very Columbo. Yeah, absolutely. It was was great. That sense, that, that relatively subtle brand of, of useful dickery. Um, And uh, I mean, it, technically falls into the under the purview of the other of the other stuff but i loved raylan bringing the baby in oh yeah to, in that in that ad, i must say adorable onesie as much as i don't care about babies super adorable i loved the uh the only one he asks if, if they want to hold the baby is rachel she's like really do i look maternal <laughs> um where, like, right and then and the and, other the other guy in the office like wants to hold the baby he's like no just go <laughs> you're not even a regular i don't even know um, your name <laughs> yes, apparently it's Nelson. But anyway, um, okay, Ava Boyd. Let's talk about Ava Boyd. Um, so here's what was good about those scenes, because I think there was some of both. Um, what was good? The direction. Um, I think John Dahl directed the hell out of those scenes um, to the de- to the point where I was actually worried about Ava's safety uh, during specific moments. Where I'm like, damn, Justify is not really the sort of show to pull. A, tr- a stunt like this but if they were going to do it it would be now um and just the look of scenes like when they were when they're in the cabin uh which, they were just really gorgeously lit and i think they did a reasonably good job of answering my problem of why wouldn't she just tell him earlier uh because they very specifically have her retell the story of her and bowman which is a story we've heard before we hear a little bit more detail than we're used to. We also haven't heard about it in a long time. Um, and so she's she's worried that she has just stepped back into the same uh, pile of cow shit uh, or whatever um, of her own volition. And uh, and it's just about and she gets more or less confirmation that she has <laughs> this mm-hmm. episode um, and the, the, the shots of of of, uh, of Boyd just choking her are kind of shocking. Because we've we've seen him do a lot of things, but we haven't ever seen him uh, be like that towards uh, towards Ava, and then just to have him dick her around um, and manip- and like try to manipulate her, and them not talking about it all all episode is super disturbing. Um, almost, I think, more than they intended it to be. Maybe um, so. All that stuff worked. Um, I think if anything, it worked too well because I'm going to have a really difficult time caring about Boyd after this. Oh yeah, they've they've ended that, and they could have gotten it back if the gun hadn't been a manipulation. Like if if the scene with the gun had been genuine, and it, so because as, as soon as you see, I mean, it makes sense that he that that he was testing her. But then I can't believe any of the emotion of that scene because I know he's lying. If he's lying about mm-hmm. the gun, he's he and the, especially the way they have him look like suspicious over at her afterwards, you know, then mm-hmm. that removes any emotion from it. So as far as I'm concerned, they've established 
there's no tie there. There's no emotion there. They cannot have get me. They will not be able to get me to reinvest in that relationship. If they mm-hmm. intend to do that, good luck, guys. I'm rooting for you, but you've, I'm pretty sure you've just killed it. And that's fine as long as they don't then try to, you know. I, th- I thought they did a really good job with that scene of of having it be um, – of pulling – because I thought it was very consistent with who we knew Boyd to be when he made the anger about you've been playing me, you don't actually care about me, all that stuff. Um and his his doubt because he had this whole life for them planned and this whole future for them planned and he's lost so much in his life at various he's been betrayed over and over and over and over again um they they really stress that in this episode he thought the one thing he had without her his family's all dead his friends like anybody he cared about is dead um but then they undercut it and make it just another manipulation so I don't see any connection for us to care about Boyd anymore. Yeah. That being said, this didn't really occur to me before, but I kind of maybe prefer this to it being at the finale and it's still like Boyd and Ava in love forever and like trying to make, you know what I mean? Like this might actually be the better way to do that. The idea that, um, that within Boyd there's Bowman and, at some point he will simply emerge because it's in the blood. And this is a, a very old idea on Justify, you know, is, is, is your family history, your destiny. Uh, and that's, that's, if anything, that is the one thing that the show is about. So for them to bring that out, I think so forcefully through Boyd is smart right now. That being said, my, the one note of that, of that sequence that I really did not like, and I'm sure you agree with this was his, was his invocation of Raylan Givens, which yeah. no, don't, don't do that. To the show. I understand that they're probably wrapped by now, so it doesn't matter what we're saying. But it, They are wrapped. They had a wrap party. They had a wrap party. Okay, it doesn't matter. But just in case anybody from Justify is listening, at least here at the Televerse, and I cannot speak for the entire fan base, we really don't care about a love triangle. Have we ever cared about a love triangle? I don't, I've never cared about a love triangle on this show. I, I can't remember the last time I cared about a love triangle on any show. Trying to think. I'm thinking exactly. the good wife. Kinda. You know, there have been love triangles at various times that I've been invested in. But no, but the Raylan Boyd Ava thing, no, that is not a thing that exists on your show. It was Ava and Raylan, and then it was a season of you don't know what to do with your female characters, and then it was Ava and Boyd. <laughs> yes. Yes, it was. Non, um, non, non mags, female characters. Let's be accurate here. But yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. I we're we're in we're in agreement on this. I think we've done enough. Um, yeah. There's there's more justified to go. I thought overall it was a really strong episode, and over the process of writing about it, uh, I found way more things to like than not like. Uh, and I think it does a, a lot of important stuff for the season. Oh yeah, the other plot we didn't talk about, of course, was Garrett Dillahunt's adventures. Oh, that was Rap great. Boys. Yeah, that was that was <laughs> fabulous. That was also. It has excellent. been such a day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was hoping we were gonna see him shave off too, and it was just gonna be you know like a week between The Walking Dead last week and Justified. It was gonna be just a week of epic beard shaving. Yeah, you, you you'd assume that was coming if he was trying to hide. But uh, I'm I'm just. At first, I was annoyed that he wasn't dead at the end of this episode, but I was like, wait, we get more Garrett Dillahunt. Why am I annoyed? Yeah, seriously, on the list of, of things, that's uh, pretty good. The The quibbles I have with this episode are 
they stick in my mind more. But as soon as I think what else happened, everything with Dillahunt, everything with Natalie Z, I just go back to my happy place. So uh, <laughs> I may not have thought this was all time great, uh, justified, but it I really enjoyed it. Um, let's talk about uh, the Americans born again. Uh, I was so ready to be just I was like, no, no, the Americans. Because, of course, we watched Fortitude earlier than the Americans because we get screeners for Fortitude. Thank you very much, Pivot. We very much appreciate it. Um, your, your service is appreciated. I was like, the Americans, Fortitude is not allowed to be not the most disturbing thing that airs this week. And they found a way out of it with prayer. <laughs> what oh. did you think about the Americans <laughs> born again? Uh, first of all, um, I know that a lot of other stuff happened in this episode, but my big takeaway scene was absolutely Philip and Elizabeth getting stoned at the window and just chuckling about how he, about the scene you just described. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was it just was so, hilarious. Well, not only was it hilarious in and of itself, it's so insanely refreshing to see those characters get to loosen the hell up for a minute because there's just so much going on and that provides such an important... You know, like that's going to be their only moment of decompression for the rest of the season. So, you really get to get to enjoy that. Well, and um, they get to be together in that relief. Yes. You know, they get to share that. And this episode really amps up the. You know, he's like, so "Don't let anyone get you to do something you're not comfortable with." I'm not talking about boys. I'm talking about your mom trying to turn you into a spy. <laughs> you know, and then the same thing with 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 uh Paige, with Jen, at the end of the episode with Elizabeth and Paige too. So like, they are shit's about to get real with the two of them because of Paige, and so it was wonderful to get at least one more scene of them totally on the same on the same page, on uh, uh, at the same place with with it. You know. Yeah, I was sort of when we got to that last scene with uh, with Elizabeth and Paige, I thought, oh, my God, are they gonna, just going to do this now? Is this just mm-hmm. going to happen like right now? Which it doesn't quite, um, but it's clearly edging that way. And Paige is just like Paige is just like reticence to the whole. So it's like, like, why are we her like we know that she's going to need answers to stuff soon because her mom's not making any damn sense. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, that's going to get real. Um, my one question right now is, why are we going to the point of Philip and his secret son right now? Wait, uh, I, I trust them. I trust, I, I, tr- I trust the writers of the Americans. I really do. But there's a lot going on right now without getting into Philip and Irina and his secret 19-year-old son. Um, I, I will say I'm very glad when... Um, when Elizabeth's uh, new new trainee was talking about um, that there was a young uh, potential spy uh, for another country around, I thought that was going to be Philip's son. I was like, <laughs> please don't do that for the love of God. Yeah. Uh, but thankfully it wasn't. Phew. Um, yeah, I don't know. How do you feel about them introducing this right now? Um, yeah, I'm okay with it because it just feels so clearly like a direct manipulation into, no, sleep with the 15-year-old. You have to do it or we're going to get your son killed. Um, and to give that, to, to poison that relationship that the Franklin Jella character has had with these two, which they established so firmly and so immediately in their first interaction. Um, I was just watching that scene going, you 
bastard, Frank Lancella. You just like, I can't imagine. I mean, obviously, there's this really strong connection that Philip is supposed to have with him. But in that moment, if I'm Philip, he's lost me. He's blatantly trying to manipulate and threaten yeah. threaten me. There's cl- there's no connection here. I'm like almost ready to run to the cops. My favorite thing about the Americans right now is that it is turning will our male lead character bone a 15-year-old girl into a point of gut-churning suspense with no end in sight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Because, uh, like, yeah. I still don't know... A, I don't know if it's going to happen. B, I don't know if The Americans is a show that draws a line there or not. I just really don't know that. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. That's true. I, I don't know. I don't think... Because I don't know... Philip doesn't want to. But I don't know if he will. And I don't know if but Philip he, does. He's... And, like, it, it seems to me that the circumstance, like, if the circumstances were extreme enough, he would. Like, he's pre- he is prepared to on some level, but he really doesn't want to. He really, really doesn't that, want that to. That whole prayer thing was, like, a that was a really big Hail Mary. Yes, and that's the sort of thing he can only do once. And the fact that he's now supposed to see her weekly uh, and still maintain interest, because she clearly is really up for it. Um, I think so she is, that's, yeah. Or think she is, um, so you know that's that's a difficult thing to, to 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 handle on a weekly basis. Yeah, I really love the delivery of um, when he tells Elizabeth. I thought that was handled really well. You yes, know, that that would, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That were uh, the Americans is still being great. I like the way they shot the the baptism. Um, I liked the stuff mm. with um, with Stan. And the the various the girlfriend and the wife and I like that we saw his son again. <laughs> it's been quite a while. Always nice to see Callie Thorne, uh, the the perennial uh, per- perennial taker of, of of relatively thankless roles. Mm, yeah, uh, or perennial getting stuck with relatively thankless roles. Uh, though she had her own show, right, for a while there in USA. Yes, she did. I don't know what happened with that. I don't know if Necessary anyone watched it. roughness, right? Yeah. Yeah, that was her. That was her. Um, well, we're getting distracted here. Any other thoughts on the Americans, or is it time for the good wife? No, I feel like shit's going to get real damn real next week, though. Um, anyway. The good wife. The good Mind's wife. eye. We saw the... Okay, so last week we saw the promo for this, and... I didn't, but you did. I did, yes. And so I thought, oh, dear sweet baby Jesus, this looks like good wife fan catnip like this is seem this is the thing that they should be perfect at that the show should be amazing at did they are they out of the slump did they do it or 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 was it too good to be true i think it was just good enough that they're out of the slump it wasn't like all-time zombie home run but it was really good i think uh for the most part and uh, it was important that it was written by the king. It's also directed by Robert King, which I don't is not a credit I, I notice happening a whole lot. Um, I mean, they kind of game the system a little bit because this is a very similar episode to uh, last season's Decision Tree, which is probably like a top 10 episode of The Good Wife. Although by the time the show's over, it's probably going to be really hard to make a top 10 episode of The Good Wife. Um, you know, it was... It, t- I mean, if anything, it pushes, from what I remember of that episode, it pushes that concept even further. Much further, yeah. Where, where there there are no scenes that don't, that 
that are real that don't directly involve Alicia's presence in some way or another, um, which the show has never done before. And hey, it's always great to see a show in season six doing a format episode in a format it's never done before. That's always cool. Um, there was a lot to like about this episode and a couple of things that are that, that kind of bug me. It's really dawned on me in this episode that they've pushed uh, Elfman, Stephen Pasquale's character, as the new Alicia love interest, mostly just because Matthew Good wasn't around. And yeah. it's frustrating that he shows up in this episode, but not really. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also, I don't know if it's just that. Um, I could see it being a character choice of the stuff with, uh, with the Matthew Good character, Finn Polar. It's been too long since we said that name. Um, is it's too real? Like they, mm-hmm. there's that's too much of an actual connection. Um, so she's trying to just distract herself with cute campaign boy, you know, um, she could see a actual like will level relationship with Finn and she's not ready for that. Or she, you know, that's, that seems scary, uh, emotionally scary. Um, Cause that, the scene on the couch with the hands, that was intense and that was hands. So like, I don't know if she's ready for that, but, but that also, I don't know how much that is just me trying to, you know, fan wake right. the, 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 the show decisions is that need... they're doing. The show is going to need to address that at some point. I feel like otherwise it's just going to be like, why did we? Why did we flip? Why did we change channels all mm-hmm. of a sudden on the on the on the sexy times interest? I don't really know. Well, um, and if I'm Finn Pulmar and I figure out that she's hooking up with, uh, you know, the press quality character Elfman, I'm pissed off because I'm like, are you kidding me? Like you... really, it, it was going to be someone, and it's not going to be me. Really, I was, I was like, we had this conversation. We sat in your office and had a only barely subtext conversation about this and about how yeah. we are both totally hot for each other, and we'd be amazing. Yeah, and then you go and do this. Yeah, I think we made it clear that you're not banging anyone, and if you are, uh, it's me. it's me. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah. Move on to any other subject. Uh, there were so many great tiny moments in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, we were too, I mean, anytime they go back to the Alicia self-flattery well, I'm always very happy. Like when she, uh, in the interview, when she's like, yes, I did take money. And like, oh, you know what? That's so brave. It's so, so honest. brave of you to do that. So honest. We're so refreshing. We're gonna, gonna, I, I almost wish that they just led to a parade of just, <laughs> this is just. You get elected now. Oh, <laughs> uh, I loved, I loved the the little bit of. Uh, I mean, it's so it's it was funny and also telling about Alicia that she imagines Zach like racing to the phone the instant after she's hung up, and she had like you come back to her and she's got a little smirk on her face because she's imagined that when she didn't leave a voicemail, he was like, "Mother," <laughs> uh, or that when she hasn't talked to him for a while, he's homeless. Yeah. Oh, that was so funny. Why are we? I go to Georgetown. Was just it was it was nice to to have him back and sniffing glue. I mean, like the the, the whole uh, uh, head Dawkins, who is not actually Richard Dawkins, which was fun. Oh, thank God. Um, with you know the the with the the what was his name? Cause Pastor is that, is that Isaiah or is that Pastor Zachariah that, or whatever his name? Anyway. Yeah, I, I can't remember because there were the two, and there were like the father, son, and yeah. Anyway, them. the son, the son, uh, having that you know 
that conversation in her head and they both just agree she's a hypocrite and i mean that that was really it was delightful and as far as i'm concerned this episode uh delivered on pretty much everything that i was hoping when i saw the premise uh the last part i'll mention i like that they do try to do some legwork on the why we never see kalinda <laughs> a thing where she just can't even think about kalinda without thinking about uh kalinda and peter um so I don't believe you, but at least that's something. And uh, I did really like this stuff with Canning. The last thing that I have is just the she's just horny, and, and like doesn't matter who she's talking to. And I thought that was that was pretty great. Um, that whole sequence. And I guess we do have to talk about. I said last thing, but we do have to talk about not will, right? Right. Yeah. Just one more thing. Uh. It sounded very much like a vocal cameo from Josh Charles. I mean, it had to be. He had, yeah. It's, after after five and a half seasons or whatever we spent with him, we know his voice pretty well. Um, the whole idea of hearing it first via internet ad, uh, super creepy, super unsettling. And then that like almost Hannibal-esque effect of having him there but not physically there um, was really creeping me out. And it was, although to be fair, the creepiness was keeping it from being really sad, which I appreciated. Um, it, it didn't, it didn't work for me because of the lighting. I needed the lighting to either be more dramatic or it's him, you know, like right. I, I needed for like it to be, everything is well lit, but for whatever reason, she can't see his face that right. I would have been okay with. Or, um, like it just seemed like they were trying to make it seem like she's seeing him, but we aren't and that. That doesn't work. Or like they could go, they could have gone creepy with it, where his face is just kind of blank because she just can't see his face in her mind's eye. She can't imagine a moment that didn't exist because mm-hmm. um, it's too any any number of reasons. Like that would have been disturbing, but it would have been a a bolder choice. This just felt like trying to have their cake and eat it too. And I mean, at, when she says goodbye and it turns and it's a dummy, whatever. I. I you get what you're going for, but it just didn't. I need them to make a more dramatic shift from yeah. from you know what they actually instead of trying to just shadows. Yeah, I I I'm giving them ambition points for even trying this because it's it was ballsy and it was ballsy in a way that wasn't offensive, <laughs> like you know a couple episodes ago. <clears throat> But um, haven't forgotten, Kings. Haven't forgotten. One good episode does not make me forget. Um, that being said, I think my favorite bit of Head Alicia um, just sort of giving herself a hard time was uh, when she's asked the question about Zach's abortion. And she's like, why is, why is it weird that she's having a hard time responding? It's her first time answering this. And it's not even her first time answering because this isn't even real. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah Steele just never leave, never leave. The oh show. my God, she is. She was besides Alicia, definitely, definitely the MVP of this episode. Uh, what do you think's going on with uh, Grace? I, I, I was getting worried there for a moment. I was worried that they were going to say it wasn't about her religion. Um, what were you afraid it was going to be about? Well, I was just, you know, like I, I was worried with all the way that they kept saying, "Oh, it's about her relationship with God. It's about her relationship with God." I'm like, she better not be suicidal. I don't think I can handle that on the good way. No, that that would be a bit much. It would uh, be a bit much, but I don't know. I was worried <laughs> for little Gracie. 
Yeah. <laughs> then again, blowing Jess Charles away in a courtroom was a bit much too. So yeah, you never know. That's right. <laughs> so, eh, um, yeah, I don't really know what's going on with that. It's just it was just nice to have a a, a grace heavy episode. It's the only show where I'm like, what's up with the kids? Why can't we ever see the kids? Mm-hmm. We actually like the kids on this show. The Americans yeah. and the Good Wife. There are a handful of these shows that we do actually like the teenage. Yeah, so uh, it makes sense that they're pals. Yeah, yeah. Um, do we have any final thoughts on the Good Wife, or is it time for? Uh, yeah, go for it. Uh, just to say, it's it's nice to have you back, Good Wife. You can stick yeah. around now. Yeah. Oh, the music. How great was the music? Remind me the origin of the clucking. Oh, that was it. They used it uh, early earlier i want to say last year it was the because they the the op like it was like the music that they did like a montage to or whatever so like those were all different pieces they have used i don't know if they've used tramarai um but i want to say that's by schumann it's a piece i've played many had many a wedding um but uh there were several in there in her like ran that she was flipping through that has have been used notably on the show at other times Mm mm-hmm uh, sorry, I have to mention other favorite bit of Head Alicia was, I'm not mad at you. It's just the music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. So then what wins your week in drama? Does the Americans Award go to, go to the Americans or is Justified oh, or Good God. Wife sweeping it in, sweeping it and taking it away? Oh, it's really tough this week. I kind you know what? I think this was probably my favorite Justified of the season so far. So I'm, I'm going to give it to Justified. And uh, the Americans was great. Uh, but I really did have fun with the good wife. So I'm going to give it to the good wife this week and okay. hope that I don't, you know, regret it when it's all terribleness all the time for the rest of the season of the Americans, <laughs> not quality, but you know what it puts us through. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Fingers crossed. Um, well, a few show notes here. You can find a post up for this episode at sundownsite.org where you can let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can also email us at televerse at gmail.com. We're up in iTunes with an MP3 unchaptered feed and an M4A chaptered feed. Of course, those chapters let you skip through. There's a chapter for every show, so you can just hit the next button and go on to the next chapter. I, do I guess not everybody's device uses m4a's i would only listen to the m4a feed if it was me but we have a lot of mp3 listeners yeah well i mean only ipods and iphones can run m4a's so really huh anyways uh, App apple audio codec man good to know uh well you can leave us a rating or review in itunes we would very much appreciate it. it does help other people find the show it raises our profile as it were you can also like us on facebook uh start the conversation there talk about the different things that you've been enjoying this week in tv and of course both on twitter i am at the televerse and simon you are at sucker howl and what is our question of the week i mentioned how um kimmy schmidt is basically 30 rock redux like exact very much stylistically identical but with a different set of characters i'm wondering is there a show that you'd like to see uh just another show take the exact same style but just you know reboot it again with more characters because it's like that other show but different huh okay but you're totally okay with that because you get more of that thing that you liked that you just don't even care you're just like i don't care just give me more yeah firefly <laughs> how did i know you were gonna say firefly? well i just you know give me more space western it doesn't need to have the same yeah. characters. I like I love space westerns, and if if Joss Whedon is doing it, then I they'll get the blend right. 
you know. Um, but that's very much reliant upon the same. But I guess, you know, we have Tina Fey for both projects. So I think I'm allowed to do that. So, yeah. So I'll say I'll say Firefly. Just it's different characters, different part of the verse, but the same aesthetic. Sort of like, you know, Breaking Bad to Better Call Saul situation. What about you? Uh, it feels cheating because it's it feels like cheating because it's my favorite show ever. But I was rewatching some Deadwood earlier this week, and just because it's something that I do every six months, and that, that, uh, that sounds about right. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I don't know, man. I feel like David Milch could do a show set in any time period, as long as it features a bunch of fantastic actors and a really nice set and yeah, copious but, swearing. But that is not that's that's different because that's just, I know that's just David Milch. That is not the same. That's not saying you want the same tone. Luck was a very different show than Deadwood. Yeah, but Luck had all kinds of things that were different. I'm saying make it another period piece. Um, involve like real life historical figures. Okay, it could even be a different frontier American town. Fr- okay, a frontier town though. Yes, going to hold you to frontier town. Live Rock. <laughs> what? Live Rock. It'll be called Live Rock. Okay. Instead of Deadwood. Okay. That'll that sure. I don't care how shameless a ripoff it is. I want seven seasons. Well, listeners will have to let us know their picks and I look forward to hearing hearing from everyone. But for now let's take a break and come back with Emily L. Stevens from the A B Club to talk about Columbo. I heard you say something, but I wasn't sure what you I said, said suppose it was you. I'm not saying it was you, sir. No, I was just thinking out loud. You know you're an audacious fellow. You see, I have a theory, and I would like to use you as an example, if you don't oh, mind. Oh, please, use me as an example. Uh, suppose, here, you take your car to Mike's garage. Your wife picks you up, she drives you here. You know, you're really intrigued with my little car, aren't you? Well, I am, sort of, because, you see, Mike didn't find anything wrong with it. And it would be a wonderful place to leave it if you wanted to prove that you didn't have a car. Now, why would I want to prove that? Well, if you didn't have a car, how would you get to Miss Wells' apartment? In fact, you're in time for the performance. You see, you can't take a cab because they keep records and there's no buses. You can't rent a car because you have to show your license. Getting in and out of here undetected, that wouldn't be too tough. You know your way around pretty good. <laughs> all right, all right, go on. Then you walk to Mike's place. It's only three and a half minutes. I timed it. You get in somehow through an open window, whatever. You take out the car. You drive to Miss Wells' apartment. You commit the crime. Replace the car and you walk back here. Is that it? Well, I don't know. This thing is a little thin, Lieutenant, especially that bit about the car, you know, that business about the car. I don't think that's very good. Right, right. That is thin, yeah, the car. Except for the fact that you forgot about the mileage. I forgot the mileage? Yeah. You know, when you bring a car into a garage, they note down the mileage. And I looked at your car the morning after the crime, and the speedometer showed nine miles more than when you brought it in. Of course, you drove that route from uh, Mike's garage to Miss Wells' house. Exactly nine miles. Oh, well, I, I think you might have something there, Lieutenant. Of course, one of the garage mechanics could have taken my car and driven it around just to test it. They don't remember that, sir. <laughs> they don't remember that? No, sir. Oh, I'm having a little difficulty imagining this hypothetical court case. I mean, there's no real proof. 
the, uh, there's uncertain garage mechanics. No, I don't think your theory holds up too well, Lieutenant. You see, I didn't kill Jennifer Wells. And it looks almost like a certainty to me that her untimely death will go down as an official suicide. Well, sir, I want to thank you very much for your time. Any time, Lieutenant. Right. Yeah, I don't want to forget my cigar. Good day. Oh, listen, just one more thing. Um, I know you don't agree, but at least I've convinced my superiors that Jennifer Wells was murdered. It was not a suicide. And they've officially assigned me to the case. That's my specialty, you know. Homicide. We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Simon Howell. And this week on the DVD shelf, I, I feel like it's been a really fabulous... All, we love all of our guests over here at, at the Televerse. Um, however, we love all the shows that we cover. We love most of the shows we cover, to say that honestly. But I feel like the recent run has been particularly fun. Lots of fun conversations. And I'm anticipating another corker because this week we are joined by Emily L. Stevens from the AV Club to talk about Columbo. And it's going to be so much fun. Emily, welcome to the podcast. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. So what made you want to talk about... I mean, I love Columbo. I I love Peter Falk. I have... I, I pretty much had the Princess Bride memorized from the time I was five. Um, so I love Peter Falk to begin with from that. But Columbo is just such a fun character and such a fun world. What made you want to talk about the show on the DVD shelf today? Well, I, you know, I've always loved mysteries. I've read them since I was a tiny little kid. My grandparents had a library full of mysteries that I started working my way through as soon as I could read. And I also watched Columbo when I was a kid, back when my family just had one TV, so we all had to agree on what to watch. So there's the nostalgia factor. I, I just love watching him. There are plenty of shows that are better crafted or more gripping or have a more important message, but there is probably nothing else on TV that is as reliably comforting to me as Columbo. And as I grew up and started analyzing it, I realized why. Um, there's more going on below the surface of Columbo. It's not just a procedural or just a mystery. Um, it's this inside-out, upside-down mystery. It lets you in on the secret of the murderer and the secret of the M.O. before anything else happens. You get to see the murder play out in the first act. And then you get to see this modest, unassuming little detective pit himself against the richest, most arrogant, most elite people in Los Angeles and come out victorious every time. There's a real class struggle going on in Colombo. Yeah, and that was what I was most delighted to discover when I went back to watch a bunch of this. Because I, I'm sure I have seen many episodes of this growing up. Uh, I... I specifically remember why, that I had seen the Shatner episode. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's delightful. He's shacking all over the place. Um, but I, so I know I was very familiar with the character of Columbo. And, and so I, I'm sure I must have seen a bunch of it. But I, I just sort of had, you know, the character. I could have visualized him. And even just like when Peter Falk went on the, what is it, the Frank Sinatra roast in character. <laughs> and it's amazing. Um, so... I was very familiar with that, with the character and, and, you know, having fond nostalgic memories of the show. But I did not remember that, like you're saying, that there's all of this class uh, discussion going on throughout. I did not realize, uh, I did not remember 
um, that, yet, like you say, it's very much if you're coming from a, a place of mystery shows, because it has this almost it almost feels uh, uh, like cliched at this point because Columbo did it. It created she- this mode, but where you, you know who killed it. And it's a matter of watching the detective figure it out. But when you actually go back and watch Columbo, He's got it figured out from, like, the moment he walks on screen. The minute he walks in the door, he pegs somebody. Yeah. And he knows. And not he... every time, but it's pretty consistent. He knows who it is before he leaves the murder scene. He has an idea, even if it's not of the specific person, he has an idea of what category that person falls into in the victim's life or in the social world they travel in. Yeah. And it's just, it's just, uh, it's just an hour of watching him trap someone in their hubris and exactly. there's there's so much fun to be had with that so i was very and especially because there's been just a spate of crime procedurals and and serials and just lots of cop shows lots of dead children shows on tv recently in the past year or two um and so it was just so wonderful to get one where it's just there's a the character just imparts this salt of the earth quality to it. Columbo is just a nice guy and he genuinely likes all these murderers he keeps meeting. Uh, but he doesn't mean he's not going to, you know, convict them. It doesn't mean he's not going to find them and, and trap them and, and, you know, get them to confess to some extent of what they've done. Um, but that is, I think he's sincere a lot of the time when he's saying, Oh, I liked your book. Like there's a lot, we'll discuss how sincere he's being, but, he, it's, <laughs> but it's, but it's really, um, He's not beaten down by his job, but there's also an awareness of the, he's aware of the dark side of humanity, but it, he doesn't let it destroy him and turn him into this gritty cap on the beat. You know, like it's this wonderful blend uh, of these elements. And I, I'm sorry, like I just, just could just keep going on for quite a while. Simon, before I keep talking over myself and just rambling here more than I already have. Uh, were you familiar with Columbo beforehand? And, you know, what what did you note as you were watching episodes for this? Uh, I had seen absolutely zero Columbo. Uh, I watched the the two recommended episodes um, supplied by uh, Emily L. Stevens. And um, first of all, my, my first association with Peter Falk isn't uh, Columbo or The Princess Bride. It's actually Wings of Desire. Either of you seen that? Sure. Yeah, he's fantastic in that. He's he's essentially playing Peter Falk in that. Yeah, he's he's great in that, and that's why that's just the first thing I went to after after I heard of his passing, and and then just reading all these stories about him, he just seemed like such a sweet dude. Anyway, um, when you're talking about uh, Columbo and what he's like as a character, uh, I yeah I, I would like to get into the in, into the idea of sincerity at least based on the on the couple episodes I watched. I was thinking about how. Um, the character of the preternatural detective uh, with almost superpowers of deduction is constructed these days, which sadly leads me to a character like Backstrom, for instance. And like <laughs> the whole thing about Backstrom is like, is, you know, the whole marketing of the character is he's brilliant, but he's a dick and that makes his being a dick. Okay. And that's been the, that's been the, the way that a lot of, I mean, basically it's, it's house syndrome, although uh, where house came from i mean there's a whole other dispute i suppose it's sherlock uh, holmes yeah uh <laughs> the thing although yeah anyway the thing with colombo is that he's also kind of a dick but in a much more um 
in a much more subtle, restrained way, and in a much more targeted way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like the the way that he that he rattles the cages of, for instance, in the in the John Cassavetes ep- well, the one John Cassavetes episode that I watched. I understand he's in a few. Uh, the season two premiere. Um, he is. He spends the entire episode all getting up in John Cassavetes' grill, um, while in apologizing repeatedly for doing so, <laughs> even though it's it's completely his intention to rattle him and get him to say or do something stupid uh, in front of an innocent person. Um, but it's but it's the last thing he wants to appear like he's doing until he knows he's got things totally secure. So it's not as though uh he, he's definitely not as unassuming as he looks. Uh he's just much better at masking um his uh his flavor of douchery. And I don't mean to I don't mean to make it sound like he's a bad person at all because he's clearly not. I mean he's he's using his powers of of being irritating for good. But I I think it's also uh, incorrect to say that he's just this uh, total straight arrow. Oh no, I don't think he is at all. I think I think it's a really moralizing show. It's sort of stealthily moralizing that yeah. it's it's enacting the downfall of the mighty by the apparently humble. But that doesn't mean that he's actually humble. He's just not afraid to appear humble, Columbo. Humble Columbo. That is <laughs> if, if anything, if anything, half of his M, half of his mo is over, a, a, over accenting his humility or like his his low stature. Like especially whenever anyone's talking about money, he's very keen to talk about money. He'll talk about his salary. Um, in the uh, in the Martin Lando episode I watched, like he he talked, oh, I've never been around this much money. Uh, I don't even know how to process this much money. He totally knows how to process everything. Uh, but but he's he's uh, he's constantly undercutting himself in the hopes that he'll be underestimated. And he does it in every possible aspect of his character. He dresses in that rumpled little coat. He drives the beat up car. And, you know, he may have great affection for the coat and the car. And other episodes suggest that he does. But he is all almost all of his cases, without exception, take him into these elite landscapes, whether they're mansions or institutes or, you know, sometimes it's an architect. Sometimes it's a rock star. Uh, Johnny Cash is in one of the episodes uh, and he wears his grubby little coat and he smokes his cheap cigars and he drives his beat down car and he talks about how little money he makes and he mispronounces words he goes out of his way to point out that he's not the I'm not the smartest guy. I don't have a Columbo impression, by the way, so you <laughs> don't have to brace yourselves for that. Uh, he goes out of his way to affect this not quite stupid, but bumbling affect so that they get comfortable, so that they start thinking he is this silly bumbling, pestering detective. And very often, I don't remember if it happens in these episodes, the two episodes that I recommended, but very often the suspect who he's pegged right from the beginning will start explaining to him. Well, I think constantly this way. Yeah. Uh, They assume he can't get there on his own, but of course he's already a step ahead of them. It's rope a dope. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. He knocks them onto the ropes and, and just waits. Well, but I think it's important to to specify that it's not 
I don't I don't feel like he's a it's not all it's not artifice as far as I'm concerned. He's not there isn't like some completely different character person underneath this so. these layers no, of artifice because we do just... see him interact with his dog dog and the vet of his dog and when we, <laughs> we see him driving his car one of the episodes i watched he's driving his car at the open it's one of the very few openings that i watch at least where um, we don't actually open with the murderer we open with him just destroying all of traffic and he gets pulled over by like five police cars <laughs> because he's trying to fix his mirror while he's driving and he's weaving yep. i mean so like there i think obviously he's he's much brighter and he th- then he lets on with some of these these um with these criminals but it's not like this is th- th- that also still feels like who he is um so so i think it's a it's a good blend because like you're right he simon he's he uses his power of annoying this uh f- for good and i could feel i feel like he would be it'd be like we could argue how what level of artifice there is to his the different things he's saying. It's possible he's not even married, the way that he references <laughs> his wife because he, he just is constantly bringing her up as a way to like remove himself from asking for favors and things, and to make it harder for people to turn him down. Uh, but if she does exist, it's gotta be it's gotta be difficult to be married to Columbo. <laughs> uh, well, y- 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 you say it's not artifice. I agree with that. I th- I think it's more like he has a high level of self-awareness about mm-hmm. uh, about the, about what his affect, uh, the, the effect his affect has on people, uh, if that makes any sense. Uh, he, he's, he's much more uh, self-conscious. He has a higher level of consciousness uh, about himself than he projects. And uh, what he can do so well, he notices details which you know it's lovely to watch a psych style detective who doesn't when the screen doesn't flash and point out the clue to you um right. but it's also that he can see how to he he understands people he reads people very well and he understands that with the type of criminal that is on a colombo show they want to talk they want to tell you how they did it you just have to find the way to let them feel safe enough to do so and I, I enjoyed some of the, actually, some of the episodes I watched. Um, I intended to watch a handful and uh, ended up spending about a day while <laughs> I was doing chores, just hopping back and forth. We got uh, a couple of our listeners hooked me up with a lengthy list of recommendations. So I actually really enjoyed some of the episodes that broke from that format. The the Patrick uh, McGowan episode where he's the, uh, it's the, like, the military academy. Oh, yeah! <laughs> very different type of, yeah. And I also really liked the the female uh, pro- the television producer. Uh, I think that is the last episode. Boy, is that right? I think that might be the last episode of the series proper on NBC. I'm not positive about that but but yeah so those ones were were nice for me because they did change it up so you wouldn't get tired of that same you know that same method but yeah his thing what what Columbo was able to do is get the allow these people to feel safe uh they're very prideful they're very certain of how smart they are he's always interacting with people who think they're clever and then let them like you say Simon let them rope a dope um, and I do think an important thing to tie in with this, like what I'm saying, I appreciated the, the some of the ones that broke from format, is that I think one of the real strengths of the series is that the most episodes that exist in a single season is eight. Yes, it was it was one of the NBC mystery movies. I wasn't in fact sure that you'd let me 
do this as my favorite series because technically it's a TV movie. Uh, and I, I can't remember the others that were in that roundup. I feel like Banachek was one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it would operate uh, on a on a wheel. You know, they'd have a Columbo every few weeks instead of once a week. Yeah, it would just, there'd be a time slot where it's like every Wednesday, it's going to be mystery Wednesday. So it'd be a different mystery every week, but you knew that time slot was going to be a mystery. And so you just watch it and sometimes it'd be Columbo and sometimes there'd be other thing they would rotate out, Um, which is a model that I kind of would like to see certain networks try again. But, um, but no, because that having that, that sort of airing schedule where you don't have week in and week out of the same shtick, I think really saves the series from, from getting tired. Yeah, it gives them some room to really craft something carefully, but also recur often enough so the viewer is very familiar with the formula. It gives you something fresh every single week. But I have to say, we probably watched it every week when I was a kid, and I really only remember Columbo. I know Macmillan and Wife was one of them. I don't remember those. I remember watching Columbo. I liked Columbo even when I was a child. Well, and Kate, isn't we've done something like 150 or so DVD shelves. Is this the only one that isn't a half hour or an hour long? The only, we've done some TV movies, but as far as a recurring TV movie, like these are basically a series of TV movies because they're each about 90 minutes. That's what it is. It's like, so you would, I would compare it to Sherlock, for example, where it's three episodes a season and they're long. They're all movie. But nothing else like this, no. But it, despite the length, though, it does have a very, besides the ones that break format, I mean, just that it has a format. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that makes me feel, I mean, I, maybe they were selling it as a series of movies, but to me it's it's a series with long episodes. Yeah. And, and so I do think that, I do think the best comparison is probably Sherlock for that, but people just don't make this kind of, of TV. Now there were plenty of shows that kind of fit this model during that time, but this is like you say, Emily, this is the one that people re- really stick with people. And I do think it just comes down to that central character of Columbo and that performance from Peter Falk. I do think um, he showed up on the, the character showed up on the TV guide like best ever characters. He wasn't he like in the top 10? Yeah, number seven in his 50 greatest TV characters. And I think it's kind of hard to argue with that. I think it's a fantastic character and an indelible performance. Uh, when you talk about TV detectives, especially if you keep it to, to network TV, I mean, he's got to be one of the, the, the most memorable for me. Yeah, and as Simon points out, so many television detectives, particularly today, but I, I, think, I think even going back to Columbo's time, so many TV detectives are a little bit arrogant or a little bit unpleasant. And Columbo is superficially at least very pleasant. And I I think under the surface probably very pleasant too. He seems like a very kind person who is still driven by a sense of purpose that no matter how sympathetic he is to the murderers, he he cannot bend the rules to let them get away. Yeah, I I really like um, they do a good job of sprinkling in not every time, but frequently enough, the weariness that he clearly feels like in in the the was it the etude to a murder something like that the the John Cassavetes conductor one in uh, Exude in Black yeah Exude in Black um he just talks about he gets these few lines about suicide and how he he can't understand it and he has a hard enough time understanding murder, but he he has an even a harder time 
understanding somebody murdering themselves. And and there is a when when those lines when those moments come up, there is a weariness to to the character yes. that and melancholy that, that that really works and really uh grounds all the silliness that he gets up to the rest of the time when he's just sort of off in his own world counting steps or like rearranging flowers or whatever it is um i don't know what what do you think about about this columba are we overstating it for you for me no 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 simon i think you may have just called me columbo did i call you columbo what do you think you simon are we overstating columbo <laughs> uh no i mean I, i've seen a lot less of it than you uh one thing i would add you just mentioned a dude in black if this is your first time seeing john cassavetes play a sociopathic douchebag um <laughs> you're in for a treat because he was amazing at it and he does it in hundreds of things. Uh, I, I never tire of watching him play assholes. Uh, he, and he seemed like a perfectly, perfectly nice fellow in real life from, from everything that I know uh, and from things I've seen him uh, say and do outside of being in movies. But man, that guy just nailed being a, being a, a, a real pain in the ass. Anyway, um, no, I, I I don't think you're overstating it. I think uh, Columbo himself is is clearly a, a, a totemic character, and um, there is definitely a, uh, as I sort of mentioned before, we we've fallen into certain traps for characterizing our cops and detectives uh, that have been so reliable in terms of gaining audience. I mean, Backstrom has an audience that tells you everything, yep. right there. Um, Stalker has an audience. <laughs> Anyway, not, I'm gonna. Sorry, I'm not gonna focus on that. That's we're trying to but, forget that. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. 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 Uh, anyway, but um, what I find actually, what I one of the things I found most interesting about watching these episodes is that, you know, we're talking about as if you like actual screen time is around eighty to ninety minutes per episode, and there's no reason these stories couldn't have been told in forty five minutes. Uh, what I find fascinating is that they the pacing of these episodes is so different from your average network procedural that to me is is the real difference it's in that length that protractedness the the willingness to spend time you know Columbo may not show up for the first 10 15 20 minutes um you're just you're you're actually just usually from what I can see hanging out with the murderer and sort of seeing seeing how they they live and we we, we sort of got that with um Law and Order Criminal Intent, I guess. Uh, mm -hmm. But again, that was sort of in a 40, 40, you know, a strict 44-minute time slot with a lot less of the sort of languorousness that we get. And part of it is just the 70s, 70s American filmmaking uh, had different sorts of priorities. But th to me, that's that's what really keeps it uh, away from uh, sort of modern storytelling rhythms is that length, that protractedness, that patience. I do feel like that patience and that that rhythm I hadn't thought about it consciously before, but I think that may be something central to Columbo's success because he himself uses a very apparently meandering, rambling stream of consciousness speech when he's when he's talking to suspects particularly, but really when he's talking to anybody. He lets himself wander down a path and it's hard to know whether he is in on the interior keeping a tighter focus on his endpoint or if he's actually following a stream of consciousness he does it in etude in black he uh there's a conversation where he and john cassavetes are at the mechanics and 
they're talking about the apparent suicide and John Cassavetes even says to him, I have a confession to make, or I want to make a confession. And Columbo interrupts him and says, look at that car over there and goes off on some complete tangent. And he's using it to keep the suspect off balance. And he does it over and over again in different episodes. Uh, I, I feel like there is something about the character that needs that amount of time to expand. He has to have breathing room. I don't know that he'd work in a 45-minute procedural. Yeah, because it, you wouldn't be able to spend time with the criminal and get to know right. the criminal at all. Because you do what you part of what you need, part of what makes the show work is they they set up what appear to be ingenious, airtight murders. And yeah, the 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 suspect or the the murderer always has contrived an alibi for themselves, and they're like, there's always just like this tiny detail of he did, you know, uh, William Shatner didn't know that the guy who he he drugged to be his alibi um, always sets his watch five minutes ahead. If he had known that, it would have been it. That would have been it. Or John Cassavetes. Uh, went back to get the the pink flower if he hadn't done you know like or the dictionary happened to fall in just the right way or they kicked the bottle of scotch over like there's all there's like they do such a good job of setting up what appear to be at least in the ones i watched very airtight murders where like okay how is he gonna possibly figure it out and while some of the joy is watching columbo entrap the other person another part of the joy is seeing how Columbo is going to be able to not like, it's not like some of these are obvious to us, but what is it going to be that tips him off? Because we've seen it. We've seen what <laughs> Columbo is going to notice. And sometimes it's obvious the pink flower, that one's obvious, mm -hmm. but with the bottle of scotch, that is not necessarily obvious in the same way. Like, so figuring out what the detail is going to be that he can extrapolate out that can be part of the fun as well. Right. The the, the standard form of, of a mystery is whodunit. And the form here is not, clearly is not whodunit because that's never a mystery. It's how is he going to get to our level of understanding? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that, that inversion of the usual format, to a certain extent, puts the viewer in the murderer's, uh, in the murderer's perspective because we don't need to know how the murder took place. We already know that, just like the murderer does. We need to know how Columbo's going to catch it. So that's the murderer's element of suspense, and that's our element of suspense as well. Mm -hmm. Well, and to go back uh, to... <laughs> just realize I'm kind of doing a bit of a Columbo thing here. To go back to what we were saying earlier about the Columbo speech patterns, as someone who tangents a lot in my daily speech and gets distracted by shiny things and then goes back to the thing where I was talking about earlier. Um, I, you know, with the, with the pacing of that, we, we wouldn't be able to spend the time with the murderers, but also it's like you were saying, Emily, the character, if you rush the character, he doesn't work. And if we only spent time with Columbo, I don't know that the show works either. Cause you have to, the audience needs to feel secure in that position, that murderer's perspective. They need to have time to like try to think with the the episode to try to play along with it. And you know, if if it's just Columbo walks into the room and is brilliant, then you have Backstrom. Uh, if you were a jerk, um, and we don't, <laughs> you know, I think we've made it clear. At least Simon and I don't like that. Don't want that. Um, yeah. 
<laughs> but but the the way that the the speech patterns tie into that for me is this: no person, at least on Columbo, has the mental uh, just stamina to follow this meandering trail of topics because any one of them could be tied to you know something that he could be something that Columbo ties back or could be completely random and doesn't matter and so he mentally exhausts the criminals by trying forcing them to keep waiting to to watch out for a snag and uh, one of the fun things about human uh, nature is that self-control takes more and more energy over the course of the day which is why people cheat on their diet and have chocolate cake right before bed because they've been using self-control and making decisions all day. So over the course of these long conversations, they're checking what they're saying and how they're responding to every little detail of what he says, but they just can't, they don't have the stamina for him because he, he's the, the terrier kind of idea. Exactly. He pecks and pesters at them until they lose their temper. And once they lose their temper, he knows he's in. Yeah. Well, and it's, and it's also easier to knock something down than build it up. He has the easier job than they do, mm -hmm. uh, which, again, is the other reason that it, it's interesting that, that you start off in the, in the murderer's perspective. They have to keep up a perfect facade for 90 whole minutes of screen time. That's <laughs> uh, even that's more than all. That's twice as much as all the other shows. And uh, and they have to do it while not seeming annoyed by this extremely annoying man. Well, but and I also love that that character type and that detective type is paired with such a se seemingly, and I think genuinely, easygoing personality. Normally, it's when you get a top in this cop in this mode on TV, it's like the, oh, once he's got something, you just can't let it go. You just can't, you know. But they're always usually aggressive and, like, it's like the McNulty thing where they're kind of, they're a jerk um, and nobody else cares about it, but they can't let it go and they just keep badgering. But he doesn't. Columbo doesn't. He just sits back and forces other people to, you know, come to him and he'll just make sort of a sound. And then that prompts the murderer who's feeling self-conscious to start talking. And I, I like that, at least for me, that contrast between such a quiet and sort of internal character with such a verbose character with this terrier cop archetype. The, the only thing that I sort of have trouble with is that from what I've seen, there's never a moment where another cop or another detective is like, oh, this guy. Because <laughs> you know does, there would be. It does happen sometimes, or at least Columbo says that it happens. Uh, I can't think of an example of it actually happening on screen, but certainly there have been cases where Columbo comes in and tells the suspect, you know, I'm supposed to be off this case. My boss, he doesn't want me working on this case anymore. And I, I think that that plays back to both the idea that these are elite, powerful people who are pulling strings to literally get away with murder, and to the idea that Columbo doesn't mind being seen as more humble than maybe he is. That whether he is going after the case like a dog after a rat and saying, you know, it's just it's just my bosses. My bosses just want me to make all of these routine questions, or I'm not even supposed to be here. My bosses don't want me asking questions anymore. Either way, he is very happy to be identified as someone who is inferior. And that plays into the superiority complex of most of the murderers. Um, I would like to loop back to uh, just one more thing. <laughs> yes, it had to happen. You were talking about Columbo picking up on the clues. And I realized 
very often the one thing that the murderer overlooks they overlook because they are not empathetic. They aren't capable of putting themselves in someone else's shoes the way that Columbo is capable of putting himself in someone else's shoes. Uh, for example, in Etude in Black, one of the two first clues Columbo notices is that the suspected suicide, John Cassavetes has set it up so that his mistress appears to have gassed herself to death, but that also killed her pet bird. It didn't occur to him that she wouldn't kill her bird. But mm. it does occur to Columbo that that seems very uncharacteristic for her. And that happens a bunch of times throughout the series, that the murderer misses something not because... Boy, how to phrase this? Not because they don't know it, but because they can't feel it. They can't empathize with it. Uh, William Shatner doesn't notice that his assistant wears his watch a few minutes slow because he doesn't care. He doesn't care enough to notice how the person who helps him with every daily detail of his life runs the schedule. He's not empathetic enough to think someone else is important. Right. Another clue that he's not very empathetic uh, murders people sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes. You know, murder, yeah. not a great mark of empathy. Yeah, usually, yeah. No, you're absolutely right. It's not a lack of um, of intelligence, it's a lack of, uh, yeah, it's not of academic intelligence or anything like that. It's a, it's a lack of uh, awareness and a lack of empathetic intelligence. Yeah. The final th thought I had was that one of the, 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 the Columbo episodes I tend to enjoy, I enjoy pretty much all of, all of them that I've seen just because I like the character so much. But the ones I particularly enjoy are the ones where they really let you um, sympathize for the, the killer. So they don't they don't tend to ever play it off like the victim deserved to die, but they have certain ones that are more and less um more or less understandable or relatable. So every now and again there's one where you're like, well obviously they shouldn't have killed the person, but they were put in a really hard spot and so you kind of some part of you kind of wants them to get away with it even though you know they can't. So like there's, I think that that is a fun element uh, to it as, as well. Really establishing the viewer's empathy for the murderer and, and a little bit of complicity, a little sense of complicity that, yeah, if I were in your shoes, maybe I would have murdered that person. Yeah. Simon, do you have any final thoughts on Columbo? Uh, for those reasons, I bet Hitchcock was a big Columbo fan. Um, did he live long enough to watch something? He must have. He was around he for a while. He lived just long enough to watch, I think most of the first, yeah, I think most of the first round. Didn't he live until 83? I bet he was a big Columbo fan. <laughs> anyway, uh, fi actual final thought. I'm sorry, this is a bit dark. Um, have you ever stopped and thought about um, how many people have taken the attempted, um, the, the, the murders from shows like Columbo and just slightly tweaked them uh, via Columbo's notes? Uh, to make them into actual successful murders. And the thing is, we'll never know. <laughs> because they were better. Exactly. Yikes. Yeah. No, all of... No. <laughs> all no. of those murderers are... All of those murders are so Rube Goldbergian that I don't think it, I don't think an actual person could pull them off. Now you've just got me, Simon. Thank you for that. Now I'm back in a place of the jinx. So thank you for that. <laughs> Sorry, uh, Emily. 
Do you have any final thoughts on Columbo? I will... Just one more thing. I will return to, Kate, what you were saying about Columbo ruminating on the death of the young pianist in Etude in Black. Uh, he talks, he puts himself in her shoes. He thinks about whether this woman with so much promise and so much talent would have killed herself. And he ends with the words, that's just me. I'd like to see everyone die of old age. And I, I think that says a lot about Columbo's appeal, that he's a homicide detective who would really like to be out of a job. Yeah. Do they have the death penalty in California? Not at that point, I think. Just checking. <laughs> all, of, all of my information about the death penalty in California in 1970s comes from the Manson case. I think that by the time Columbo was on the air, the death penalty was out. Just checking. So thanks thanks again for that, Simon. <laughs> I'm going to take no us problem. back to our, our lovely final thought from Emily there. Yeah, I, I have, that's, that's why we love, that's why we love Columbo. That's what makes the character um, so iconic, that, that blend of, of all these different elements and, and entertaining, but also heartfelt and just such a great performance from Peter Falk. So I'm going to have to go watch Wings of Desire because I haven't seen it. So clearly, oh, it's great. You're going to love it. Clearly. You really yes. are. And it's going to make you forget about uh, City of Angels if you ever saw that. I have not. Is that a There remake? you go. It is. Oh, noted. Okay. Well, on that on that cheery note of terrible remake of a beloved Peter Falk movie, Emily, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Where can our listeners find you and your work online? I am at the AV Club, uh, and you can follow me on Twitter at Emily or else. Okay. Well, and thank you again so much for coming on, Emily. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. Thank you so much. Thank you.